It's Two Jerks, One Vote, with Jerkatorium reviewing the Spin Tunes 18 Round 2 Escape the Grid Tempo Change Challenge. And this time, we're joined by our special guest reviewer, Owl. We said we weren't gonna do this again, but we didn't hold up very long. We said we weren't gonna do this, but then somehow we're right back here judging all of your songs. We could spend this time doing something constructive, something really worth our while, but that's not our style. During the previous podcast, uh, did I not make myself clear? I, I thought I spoke out against tempo changes, and yet no fewer than three of these submissions include one or more tempo changes. I, I mean, what's the deal? Am, am I being trolled <laughs> here? What's wrong? Nobody respects you. It's, uh, yeah, what's, what's <laughs> you going have to on? be more authoritative. Like, speak in a deeper voice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Louder, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, well, that was actually the uh, challenge this time. You came up with it, right? I did. So so why don't you announce it? What was the idea? So the idea was to sort of escape from the grid. So like usually when we're working in our um, digital audio workstations or DAWs, we spend a lot of time aligning things to the grid to make sure that everything is on beat. And... I thought it would be great for a change to try to get away from that. Like, I had never used any of the variable tempo features in my DAW before, and I kind of wanted a reason to do it. So, I had never thought changing tempo was something I wanted to do, and I wanted an excuse to try it. So, the, the challenge is, is to make a creative use of a one or more tempo changes. And the creative use clause is in there just to try to encourage people to think about why they're changing tempo and to try to kind of make it make sense in the context of the song. It's different. It's new. I can't remember if uh, Narayan has ever done that before or uh, if Spintoons has ever done it before. I, I doubt it. Uh, Spintoons is, tends to be more topic. For sure. Uh, than it is. Yeah. I was reacting to that a little bit. I didn't want to go four rounds of topic suggestions. So I thought it would be great to have some variation in the kinds of prompts that we give our contestants. You wanted to veer into Nurein's lane. I did. I did. <laughs> oh, well. Well, do you want to talk about last round a little bit? I mean, um, I think judging last round was pretty good, by which I mean, you know, except for Galashi. <laughs> there weren't a lot of uh, wild, discrepant voting variations that, uh, that I think we see in some of the other competitions. Now, there were 10 eliminations, and none of those artists were in any of the uh, judges' top 10 lists, meaning you know, there, there wasn't anybody in the bottom 10 who, were, who one of the judges thought was one of the top 10 and just somehow, you know, that there wasn't that discrepancy, and also vice versa. Nobody in the top 10 was in any of the judges' bottom 10 rankings. The only really extra wacky voting disparity was between you and me, Chumpy, with the <laughs> Galachi, as we discussed during the previous podcast, though. And so, and that was sincere and organic. Uh, you weren't artificially inflating your vote, and I wasn't on some vendetta against Galachi. And uh, it doesn't matter anymore, though, since, you know, unfortunately, he didn't submit a round two song. 
Yeah. I wouldn't take back my vote and I wouldn't change anything. Like I'm, I'm happy I voted my conscience and uh, I really love the song. And even if not a lot of the other judges felt as strongly as I did, I think that's okay. There's plenty of room okay. to disagree. If I remember right, I think Jim of Seattle liked the song a whole lot too. Either him and or Micah. I think I think it was Jim of Seattle spoke very very highly of it though. Yeah, that's true. But since Galashi didn't submit an entry for round two, and neither did a good guy Sojur Bay, we had two reinstatements: Menage Tune and also Brewhouse Sessions, which you know they were both eliminated in round one. Now I'm going to offer just a little peek behind the curtain here, Micah who is the uh, manager or emperor or organizer. I think organizer is best. Micah, the organizer of Spin Tunes, manages the reinstatements at his discretion and at the discretion of the judges. It does sort of explicitly state in the rules that significant weighting will be given to those competitors who were ranked highest prior to their elimination. And I feel pretty safe in suggesting that was the primary consideration for these reinstatements, or maybe the only consideration. Um, we did have one judge who spoke out in favor of reinstating one of the other entries instead, but it was decided to go with the default, which maybe seems fairest. It does. I think it's fair to judge their previous performance, the one they were cut on, like, if someone had a much better performance and they were just barely eliminated last time, I would want them to have first dibs. And I just thought it what I would want if I were an eliminated competitor. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I kind of um, didn't have any part of that discussion. I kind of recused myself for uh, reasons that might or might not become clear later. But now that it's uh, already decided and out there, uh, I can say that I think uh, I would have sided with that judge who kind of wanted one of the alternates. And my rationale is that I'm pretty sure that both of the reinstated bands are likely to be eliminated again this round. And what is the point of reinstating a band that you're pretty sure is just going to be eliminated in that round? I mean, I get it where you think that they should be reinstated just on the strength of their previous score. That makes perfect sense. But if their shadow is just going to get them eliminated again, then what's the point? I don't know. It's a point not to phone in your shadows. Maybe it's just a yeah. reminder to other competitors. Yeah. Well, we did have those two reinstatements, and we did default to the highest-ranked eliminated round one bands who submitted shadow entries. So it's worth pointing out that Ross Durand or Bafo Yucks Dudes would have been reinstated if either of them had just submitted shadow songs. And, you know, why not submit shadows? You know, in my view, we're all only doing this for further motivation to make music and maybe to have an audience and get feedback. So it seems like self-sabotage to kind of bow out completely just because you're less likely to win a competition that involves no prize and no acclaim, you know? I can't disagree with your reasoning. All right, I've come to the end of my rant. Do you have any rants? <laughs> I don't. Um, what do you say we introduce our guest this time around? Okay. Uh, we have a very special return guest today. It's Owl. Owl has won hey, 10... Everyone. Hey, uh, <laughs> Owl has won 10 song fights under the band name Miscellaneous Owl, plus six song fights under the band name Vowel Sounds. 
Vowel Sounds won Neurine 14, and they were the only band in Neurine history to win four rounds in a row back-to-back. Having won Neurine 14 with Vowel Sounds, uh, Owl was content to rest on her laurels. Nope, nope, just kidding. Uh, She returned to win Neurine 16 under the name Crownshy earlier this year. In addition to all of that, Owl makes wonderful music and videos with the band Gentle Brontosaurus, Owl has collaborated with Jerkatorium on the song Try Me under the band name Miscellaneous Jerk. Uh, She's collaborated with Hanky Code on a cover of Hot Pink Halo's Try Me. Uh, She's collaborated with the Yaks of Industry on the House Arrest song fight. And you can find info, music, videos, and etc. by Miscellaneous Owl, Vowel Sounds, Crown Shy, Gentle Brontosaurus et al. uh, at the Song Fight Archive, the Neurine Archive, the Spin Tunes Archive, YouTube, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can and should buy the Vowel Sounds album Message Received at Bandcamp.com. And while you're at it, uh, go get those Gentle Brontosaurus albums, too. It's all excellent, amazing songs from a true champion. Welcome back, Owl. Yay! Thank you for that sweet introduction. (laughs) All All the sales pitches. Save well, me all I, the, the trouble of having to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of feel like uh, like Kermit the Frog. I want to yell "Yay!" and then wave my hands around frantically, <laughs> you know. But uh, but did I miss anything? I have a few uh, Insta bands whose names I can't all remember right now, but a few other um, random instant band um, collaborations on Songfight as well, and. What else is there <laughs> uh, at the moment? Like I was mentioning, I'm pretty busy this month because I'm actually prepping to do a couple of um, tribute shows with these kind of um, one-off collaboration things um, with friends in town. So I'm actually going to be impersonating um, David Bowie and um, the Cranberries, you know, various Gosh. components of these um, in, you know, a bit more than a week, <laughs> like the 30th of October. So yeah, that's keeping me busy musically this month. I feel like last time we had you on, you were doing one of those two. And I want to say it was Elvis, but it might not have been. Yeah, I did do Elvis. That might have been the same year that I did a previous uh, Cranberries as well. But um, yeah, it was uh, the same band that I'm doing Bowie with this year. We did Elvis a few years back. Cool. Cool. That sounds awesome. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, this challenge in these songs before we get into the specific ones. Like... I sometimes complain about Nurine challenges that ruin songs, like uh, when a Nurine round mandates that a song includes a siren or an error or backwards recording, and we end up getting a lot of songs that might have been excellent if not for that siren or that error or that backwards bit. Do you think this challenge ruined any otherwise potentially excellent songs? I feel like it did. At least one. Do you have any specific ones in mind? Or are you thinking like just in general, it's, uh, I mean, there, there were, there's a one that was in songs. done in four movements and I feel oh, like yeah. maybe they would have just stuck to one movement if they, if we didn't force them to make tempo changes. And I think that would have been a huge improvement, but we can get to that when we get to it. Well, maybe instead of these questions, maybe we should just get to it then. What do you think? Yeah, let's dive right in. Do you want to start okay. us off? Can I just say something about the challenge just real fast? Um, Just because I was kind of thinking about that, um, the song and four movements that you're mentioning, because it's funny, kind of this big divide that we have between 
all the people in this community who are, you know, like home recording aficionados and, um, you know, leaning heavily on the use of the DAW and the grid for the most part. And kind of that divide between, you know, the home recording folks doing that and then the people who are doing all sort of live stuff and um, live recording. And, you know, it's a lot harder to stay on the grid, right? Like if you're just playing in a live band, you know, depending on how steady your drummer is. But it, it's the kind of challenge that I think would be very natural if it was, you know, a live band with just a bunch of people in a room together playing music. You'd be like, okay, we're going to slow down in this part and speed up in this part. You kind of all follow each other. And it, it makes it weirdly difficult, right? And like very um, almost sort of forced when you're having people who are trying to stay to, you know, a click on this grid and like put, you know, carefully put in these tempo envelopes and, and change things. So, I mean, I thought one thing that was kind of interesting was like the competitor who has the song in the four movements, I think was all, you know, live drums because he's a drummer. You know, I didn't really like sit around and figure out who, you know, is doing live drums or who is doing maybe just like them and an acoustic instrument or something where it makes it a little bit more organic and a little bit easier to, to manage that. But I thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, tension um, between those two ways of approaching music. Yeah. A couple spring to mind. First of course is uh, Jim of Seattle, who I, I'm not sure, but I get the impression that maybe that was just played uh, kind of organically and the tempo changes were certainly, I'm, I'm sure that they were planned out, but they seemed more kind of like they were following the mood, you know, and I don't know, but I suspect that he didn't, he wasn't working off of varying metronome. And I think that that might've even helped bucket hat Bobby Matheson, who definitely had a not so great drum machine that, you know, he had varying success following but yeah, I think that it might have been better even without that. But I think I'm getting ahead of myself, too, since we're talking about specific cases. I think it's about time that folks who aren't using a DAW and who are relying on recording live performances got an advantage. So if that's the case, I think good for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. First on the list was Daniel Sittler with his song Work in Progress. I took my meds, but they haven't kicked in yet. I'm in my bed, but I haven't left it. I got a hangover the size of a fighter jet. I'll drink again to forget it. I am forever a work in progress. Nothing is getting better, but I do my best. Because you never know when something might come round. And put your whole damn life to the test. Slow down and take it easy. You don't know what you're doing. Settle down now and find your stable ground. To be blunt, okay, I, I kind of tapped this song out using my finger tapping on the desk as a metronome, and I believe that finger didn't change speed at all throughout this song. Um, I'm going to give it to him anyway, because the song arguably switches into halftime during the chorus. And since it switches from, you know, four, four time to three quarter time, I'm not going to do the math and figure out what fraction that would have been. But regardless, uh, I'm going to pretend that it ticks that challenge box for me, uh, especially when he does the overlap part, uh, when the vocals of the verse section change tempo to fit the three-quarter time in order to facilitate the overlap. 
Uh, so they ticked that box. I'm fine with it, even though, you know, it may not have been what we'd envisioned when we were coming up with uh, the idea for this challenge. I spent too much time talking about that, though. Uh, I like this song. I think it has a real musical theater vibe, uh, like some of the more recent current musical theaters like Rent or Dear Evan Hansen. And I'm not really a big fan of Rent, and I haven't even seen Dear Evan Hansen yet, but I like the song. And uh, it's like the takeaway hit from one of those musicals, I feel. Uh, I like the lyrics. They describe the protagonist very well, and you can sort of relate to that guy. Uh, the backing music is good. It's mixed well. The different sections meld well, which is something a lot of the other songs failed to do. And uh, I don't really have anything to criticize about the song, uh, except maybe that tempo thing. Yeah, I, um, I felt that as well. I know that there are two sections, one that sounds fast, and that's like the normal time, I think, which is representative of the sort of manic bipolar swing on the manic high that he was going for with that section. And um, on the calmer, sort of more grounded and level-headed feeling that he gets when the drugs kick in, I feel like that is the halftime section. And, you know, I didn't mind too much that the tempo changes were from halftime to full-time. I'm going to also allow them to check that box. It's maybe not the most creative tempo change, but I'm going to let them check the box just because I don't want to be a jerk and ding people for halftime, or double-time for that matter. I know... Uh, Jim of Seattle would probably would probably want to disqualify these contestants because <laughs> that's how Jim is. But for me, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it happen. I know that we discussed this on the judging forum or judging email as well, and that we thought it would be okay. So I'm just gonna go with that. I also really like this song. I liked how they used the tempo to sort of represent these two states in a bipolar state of sort of the manic section and the calmer, more level-headed section. I liked when both sections sort of came together in the end and both voices melded together. I thought that was really well done. I liked how the guitar and piano worked together. There's some really cool staccato stabs of each at the start, which I like. I thought the piano melody was pretty. My ear heard some weird, like, maybe compression or pumping artifacts towards the end of the song when the volume would just kind of warble up and down. Maybe I was imagining things and it kind of distracted me a little bit, but other than that, I had no real complaints about the song. I thought it was pretty well done. Yeah, there was, uh, I noticed there was quite a bit of kind of lawyering on the forum about halftime or, you know, double time and whether that was really fulfilling the spirit of a challenge or not. But I mean, if I were judging it, I think I would figure that as long as it feels like it's going slower or going faster. I mean, I don't really care all that much about whether, you know, the BPM technically changes or, you know, whether it's 135 to 138 or, or what have you. Um, Feeling is believing. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked this song too. I didn't get as strong of a musical theater vibe from this one. I, I do kind of see what you're saying there, but um, I didn't get as strong of a vibe of that um, from this one as some of the other entries, which in my book um, is a, pos a net positive. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, I think the one thing that stuck out to me that I didn't quite like about it was I felt like there was a synth in here that was just basically following the um, vocal melody line like the whole time. And it would have been nice for that to be a little bit more of a, a counterpoint or something rather than staying so closely with, with the vocal. But yeah, I, I thought the use of the, you know, the lyrics and the 
the slower parts and it really supported kind of the idea behind the song. So it felt like a whole kind of artistic package altogether rather than kind of jamming this, you know, uh, requirement in there. Um, like I think some of the other songs ended up feeling like. Yeah. Let's back up here just a little bit. You did mention that, you know, you, you weren't a big fan of that musical theater vibe and mm-hmm. I, I get that. And I, I think you're right. I think if you're doing something kind of with, uh, within a musical theater trope, you're making a mistake. You're Definitely. doing something wrong. And it should, should be not, not allowed. I feel like it should definitely yeah. be not allowed. Should disqualify people. Yeah. I'm glad we agree <laughs> on that, Ryan. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't call out the synth that follows the melody line. I know that's a pet peeve of yours. I mean, I know that there, there was the piano thing that did it, but I, it, the, the problem that I have is not a synthesizer following the melody line. It's the lyrics, the melody following the chords exactly. So, oh yeah, hitting yeah. on the root notes every time. Yeah, I can't, you know, think of any really really good examples, but if if you're hitting on a chord and just doing the bass note of the chord as the melody, then that's that's what I don't like. Anyhow, yeah. So, okay, that's that's one weird thing. Okay. Also, uh just just to let you know, that was a inside joke owl because the next challenge is going to be to I mean, we can say it, right? We can say it. Okay, yeah. The next challenge is going to be to write an I want song from a musical that does not exist yet. An I want song is kind of like a, what are the examples they put? It's somewhere over the rainbow, part of their world. It's somebody who wants to fit in or somebody who wants to escape or somebody who wants something, you know, in the beginning of the musical. And that's kind of sets the, the plot in motion. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I'm glad you invited me to be on, on this round instead of the next one. <laughs> I don't want to be a complete jerk <laughs> the entire time. It would be appropriate, like, though. I hate musicals. <laughs> I hated all of these songs with a passion. Yeah. I'm going to cut all this, though, too. But, uh, just because, <laughs> so stop so. being funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you want to start the next one? Sure. Next up, we've got Chaz Rock with The Show. Thank you for getting married and So I have some somewhat mixed feelings about this song. First off, I'll say that the music is infectious. And when the chorus hits, it really hits. That line that starts, bang, bang, fingy guns. Like, great. Probably one of my favorite choruses in the round. It's just a really great hook. The slower sections that follow immediately after the chorus, though, they're kind of a downer. So, and lyrically, it just really brings me out of it. So the idea that you're like kneeing your child in the temple, it just, ugh, I, I don't want to think about yeah. a father kneeing their kid in the temple. 
And then in the next chorus, the father asks if the child was stupid from the first knee. Now I hate that guy. And I'd, I'd rather that I wanted to dance along with them in their sexy daddy dancing. Like, I want to revel in that with them. But I can't now because I hate them. And that's yeah. a problem. Like, I want... You probably want your listener to... I mean, to sort of like you, the characters in your song if they're singing. Maybe not always, but I would have really liked to have been there with them in their dancing and not hating them for being just a shitty father. I know, and this is a nitpick, so, you know, why don't you go to your mother? She's the one who has her head in her hands. And I'm just thinking, there's no way that a child does not know who their mother is. Anyway, stupid yeah. nitpick, but... <laughs> <laughs> I just I just hated that part of the song. So parts of the song I loved, parts of the song I hated. I feel like just some fixing of those WTF lyrics I think would have really helped the song and then it would have easily been very high in my rankings. But I mean we can all agree that we really appreciated the descriptions of that guy's ass. <laughs> I, I didn't creative. go there. I was gonna. I would give. I would give them a pass on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, me too. But I mean, if, if you're if you're gonna go into the lyrics specifics, I think you gotta land there somewhere. Yeah, you gotta get in the ass. <laughs> uh, so to speak. So to speak. Um, much of what I have to say about this song is negative too. But uh, I didn't dislike the song. You know, I just found a lot of stuff to say that is critical. The synth sounds are pretty cheesy with way too much reverb and the vocals have too much reverb. The song is, you know, very much a novelty song and uh, that's fine, I guess, but this is so novelty novelty. I don't like the vocal melody of the verses, but I do very much like the vocal melody of the chorus. And, um, you know, whatever that please don't cry part is, maybe we're going to call that a bridge. You know, that melody's fine, but I thought there are a lot of stops and starts in this song, and there's no attempt at any real consistency between the Please Don't Cry sections and the rest of the song. But the song is a lot of fun, and that carries some real weight with me. You know, if I'm humming bang, bang, fingy guns while doing the dishes, then you sort of have me, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is going to be hard for me to rank. I'm just not sure where it's going to land. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like... This song was fun and, you know, I, I liked the melody and the groove, although the melody really reminds me of something else. And I, you know, I've been spending most of my time thinking about this song, like trying to figure out what that melody reminds me of. I haven't figured it out yet. I think the lyrics just really kind of spoiled it for me because, yeah, I mean, it, it does end up kind of being this novelty song about somebody you don't really like. And it just didn't feel like it had a lot of... Um, I don't know, like all the, all the, you know, thick daddy butt jokes, like didn't really do it for me, like humor wise. So I don't know. I just like, it was, it was okay. You know, like I didn't like absolutely hate it or anything. Like I thought it was fun as like a, a, a song, um, just listening to it if you're not listening too hard. But I felt like once I started listening to the lyrics and looking into the lyrics, I was just like, ah, it's, I don't know. I'm just not, not really into this. Yeah. It's like intended to be funny, but it's not something that I really find funny. Yeah, absolutely. All right, should we move on to Sarah Parsons doing Rewind, Retry? Everything's loud, everything's fun. Everything's fast and nothing gets done. Everything's grand, everything's cool. Everyone's wild and like a damn fool. All of it's mad, all of it's weird. 
took a phone call in the parking lot round back beyond the bar. Second act is lighting up while tuning their guitar. The function's getting heated, but I just just getting fake. This night's just getting started, but I think she's getting sick. I feel like this song was designed so that I would dislike it, but instead I like it a lot. Uh, I mean, it's a downer ending on the lower tempo instead of a high note, but the first section is comically cheesy. Uh, you know, that sampled guitar in that first section sounds awful, and that part is mixed poorly, and overall it sounds like punk interpreted ineptly by a person who has always just dismissed and disregarded the whole punk and rock genre. The first section fades out into the second section, but there is no effective tonal melding uh, in that crossfade. The topical melding works very well though, and it's especially effective when the phone call in the parking lot comes back. Um, that second section is beautiful and heartbreaking. Uh, it reminds me a bit of Jane Seabury, you know, no, nothing specific, but just the general style and the beauty of it. I know from the bio that this song was inspired by real events, uh, but nevertheless, I'm going to say that it's sort of cheating to take that kind of shortcut to my emotions. Yet I fully realize that it's ridiculous of me to criticize the idea of describing emotional scenarios in music, because I, I mean, that's that's most of music, I think. Anyway, I think I'm going to rank this pretty high because it was very effective and the lack of consistency between the beginning and the end was even probably part of what was effective about it. And also just a, a quick note, bringing the distorted guitar back at the end, way in the background, that was, that was a great, great touch, I thought. Yeah, so at first I thought that this is a song that has two very different sections with a transition in between. And for a while, I wondered if there was anything that really tied the two songs together. And initially I thought, what Sarah has done is written two completely different songs and then just kind of glued them together. And I was really glad that I was wrong about this. So there's a consistency between the lyrics in the two sections. So, you know, some of the lines begin with everything, and then that phone call in the parking lot line is shared amongst both sections, and I realized that it's the same vocal melody in both sections, which I thought was really cool, a cool way of tying them together. So I was glad that my initial thoughts were, you know, oh, these things are unrelated when they're actually kind of cleverly related. I also heard that guitar coming back at the end, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I really love the manic, punky energy of the first section, and I thought Sarah's growly vocals really worked for me. I thought it was great to hear her in a different context. Like, I would definitely see a punk band, well, that had a real guitar player, fronted by Sarah. I think that would be awesome. I honestly didn't even mind the synth guitars. They were a little cheesy, but I thought they sounded fine in context. I was a little sad that that fast punky section only is like 50 seconds long and that the transition between the fast section to the slow section is actually 30 seconds long, which, uh, you know, I, I think I would shorten that up a little bit and just get to it quicker. I like the slow part too. 
Uh, I really like the way the lyrics revealed the story about the ailment that her friend had without getting too specific, but just that she was admitted to the ER. And the music itself lets you know that it was really serious without having to say, oh, by the way, it was cancer. Or, you know, you just sort of knew it was bad from the way she sung and the emotion in her voice. So uh, I also like this song and, you know, it's definitely in the top half of my rankings. Yeah, I liked the song. I think that the production did let it down for me. You know, I think it kind of took a little bit more listening and, um, you know, looking at the lyrics and kind of thinking about the song and sort of listening past the, you know, the synth guitars and kind of the off mixing. But again, I think that the idea of the tempo change kind of supports the song itself and that the song has something to say and doesn't feel just like oh, here was an assignment that I, you know, I checked these boxes. And, you know, I liked some of these little details, like, uh, you know, she's going to get admitted, so I got to move my car, because I feel like, you know, when when there are these kind of, like, big catastrophes, you know, that's the kind of little details, like, oh, crap, I got to think about these, like, small, practical things. And, yeah. you know, they, they just kind of hit you, you know, as, as absurd in, you know, those types of moments. Yeah. But it, it makes it feel a lot more real. So, yeah, I mean, I, I liked this one as well. Moving on, we've got Simensky with Sleep. You more like a song snippet than a complete work. I had a hard time figuring out if there was a chorus. I don't think there was. There was definitely not a discernible hook of any kind to my ear, and I think this song sort of suffers because of that. It does speed up nicely, and I think that that tempo change was well managed, technically, but ultimately it just left me with a feeling but I don't really groove to it, and I'm not really psyched about hearing it when it comes on again. I thought it had some good production values and some nice touches, but just really little substance. And, I, you know, I, I get what it was about. It was about, you know, Szymanski not being able to sleep because his daughter comes in and wakes him up. Um, and, but I thought it was just a little too emo for, <laughs> for having your daughter come in and, you know, interrupt you while you're trying to get work done or... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't really jive with this song too much at all. Yeah. Uh, this song is so intense for what should be a cute song about that situation. You know, it's actually pretty weird and disturbing until you find out that it's about his daughter waking up at night. You know, like what, what if Nine Inch Nails wrote a song about Trent Reznor's daughter's milk mustache uh, or a Smashing Pumpkins song about potty training? You know, the tone does not fit the scenario, but of course it doesn't have to. It's performed very well and mixed very well. This was also better than most of the songs at incorporating the tempo change. 
you know, that really put the vast majority of the other competitors to shame in comparison. Really, the only thing I have against this song is my own genre bias. And if I end up ranking it lower than I should, it was only because I thought the higher ranked songs had more gut level appeal and charm to me. You know, this song is great at delivering a mood, but I don't need that mood, at least not very often. Yeah, so I have to apologize because um, I didn't take any notes this time. I haven't listened to all the songs as much as uh, previous times that I've uh, come on this podcast just because I've been really busy this month. So I didn't really have a lot of notes about the song in my head. Like it was just kind of like, oh yeah, that was that was pretty good. Uh, his, you know, you can hear his kid. That was pretty cute. But um, I, I apologize. I, I didn't, you know come away with this with kind of strong opinions to share. So um, oh. sorry, I can I can write a more detailed review on the, on the forums or something after I've listened again, but it just kind of, um, you know, went through my brain without. Yeah, it, it was like, that. That's, it was totally like that for me for the first three listens or so. It didn't really make an impression on me either. I had to really listen carefully to come up with something to say. So it's not just you, Al. Yeah. And that's kind of its own kind of review kind of terrible mean review i'm sorry i didn't, <laughs> I didn't want it to be a mean review but i was just you know like sitting here thinking like oh my god i my brain is completely blank about this song i don't have anything to say so i gotta fess up and say like i'm sorry i didn't make any notes as i was listening i just was like oh i'll remember something about the song as we talk about each one it's like it had his kid yeah, <laughs> yeah no no it no. was the one with the kid in the um, beginning so. Yeah, yeah, no, I was, I, I was just kidding too, me, but, uh, and, you know, this is, uh, it's like having to memorize a 25 song album in a couple of days. So we, we really appreciate, uh, you know, whatever kind of level of, of involvement you can have in this podcast. It's, uh, it's really good of you to come. You're really yeah. classing up the joint, Al, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> me and my poor memory. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of poor memories, Stacking Theory is up next with Escape the Grid. Oh, there must be some kind of way out of here, free from the anger and the hate and the fear. Oh, not everything in life should be so grim. Yeah, there's gotta be room for some hope and some joy and blood optimism. There must be some kind of mistake here I'm trapped by all the precious things I once had dear All my useless measures have become my way And they're dragging me down Turn my smiles into frowns And I've got to escape I have so much to say about this song. First off, this band read the judges' reviews and altered their intended approach accordingly. I love and them I have, for that. I have very mixed feelings about that. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sure that it resulted in a song that is more enjoyable to me, more enjoyable than what his initial stab at this round was, which he described as, uh, quote, super slow, unquote, and, quote, angry slash sad, unquote, and, quote, 
58 beats per minute of descending minor chords, unquote. <laughs> I mean, it's right up your alley. <laughs> 58 beats per minute? I didn't know that tempos went that low. I always assumed that the edge of the world must be around 120, although, of course, I've never had occasion to check that. Um, anyway, it's probably okay to take the judge's advice as strategy for doing better in a competition, but with zero actual stakes to this competition, it makes me uneasy to think that the judges drastically influenced this song away from what the band might have appreciated for themselves more, if you, if you know what I mean. So, you know, <laughs> go, go ahead. Ryan, um, there's a reason that we didn't write any slow songs after the second round of uh, Narine uh-huh. um, when Bell Sounds entered, because we entered the really slow core kind of um, tune in, I guess that was round one, actually. Um, and it got and you're like, oh, I hate slow songs. They're so boring. And um, we did pretty poorly. And I think we're called the greatest disappointment <laughs> after the round one entry um, by one of the judges. Uh, and yeah, so um, definitely <laughs> that was something that we took into account for future rounds. It's like, oh, we better we better just write some fast songs and um, <laughs> make I mean, sure uh, we keep there. Are no, there are no stakes, Ryan, but people still want to win. Yeah, I get it, but but like I was mentioning before, I mean, if there are no stakes, and if you're just using this as a prompt to get you to write more music, like like we tend to do, you know, whenever we, we're doing anything, you know, uh, having a deadline and having a direction is kind of the main thing, and also having a default kind of you know reason to do it is 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 this really? So like when even when we were judging, we would do a lot of uh, shadow songs. And that had nothing at all other than we wanted to make sure that we got it in before the listening party. So if you want to continue and if you want to compete and if you want to do well in the competition, then yes, absolutely. Barn burners every single time. But otherwise, you know, why not just do what you want to do? Write the kind of music that you want to write and perform and listen to. But having said that, during our previous podcast, I had this whole long PSA at the very beginning where I talked about this exactly that you know if you have down tempo g and g numbers then you know it's going to be hard to make it very far if everybody else is doing these up tempo fun happy interesting barn burners but about this song about escape the grid by stacking theory i like the jangle pop of it it reminds me of the 1 a.m radio and for most of the song, the backing music is just to take on the 12 bar blues, you know, the A, A, D, D, A, A, E, D, A. Uh, and sure, they add a sixth in there for a couple of those chords, but it's still the 12 bar blues, which is one of the most common progressions in popular music because it sounds so good and natural and because it resolves so well. And when it's done well uh, with those great backing vocals and the excellent lyrics, then there's no real reason for me to complain about that. Then, of course, the slower tempo section comes in and it is not melded very well with the up-tempo part of the song, uh, but better than some. Uh, Also, it is almost but not quite halftime. It goes from 166 beats per minute down to 78 beats per minute which is just five beats per minute away from exactly half time. I like what Stacking Theory does with this section. Again, I would never want to uh, end an up-tempo song on a slower note, uh, but I think this works great. Um, He escapes the 12-bar blues, uh, and it sounds lovely. 
that distorted guitar hits so well and it goes great with uh, the heavy heavy whisper of his lead vocals and those lush backing vocals which uh, i also loved nice yeah i also loved the up-tempo jangle pop like i was really into it the song made a great impression on me right from the start uh, and i found myself humming along during my week of listening to these songs Really solid chorus, sticks in your head, and those sweet, sweet backing vocals. Probably the best part of the chorus. So nice. I also like that line, there must be some kind of lever to use. I've got a broken system that I'm desperate to move. I need a way to find a way to break the patterns in me. Just give me some length and a fulcrum. I thought was really cool, but I didn't know it was and oh, maybe and Archimedes. I didn't know it was and yeah. maybe yeah, call yeah, Archimedes. Archimedes. I, I oh, just okay. I thought it was you know I, I didn't get that until I read the lyrics, and I think it's because Archimedes bunch of syllables squeezed into a little space. But just hearing about a length and a fulcrum just made me think, oh, cool, yeah, I get they're trying to like move something heavy. Like that imagery really worked for me, and I, I thought that that whole stanza was really great. Um, and that verse really jumped out to me in a good way. At the the end in the, the slower section, there are some really loud uh, string scrape noises at the end and maybe in a couple other places. And I'm wondering if they're supposed to represent seagulls or something, because I know that there was a line about seagulls on the beach. Uh, but I just thought they were really loud and obnoxious, and I would have preferred actual sampled seagulls if that's what you were going for. But that is really my only complaint. And um, just to react to something you said, Ryan, I didn't really hear the 12-bar blues. It may have been like a 1-4-5 chord progression, but I didn't hear any like dominant 7 chords. So it really didn't sound bluesy to me. But yeah, maybe that's what the chord progression actually was. But I just heard delightful pop music and really nothing in the blues context in my ears. Uh, it's, it's not so much blues as the genre of music. It's uh, the the name for the chord progression. Yeah. And uh, and though, yeah, he doesn't have any um, seventh chords, but he does stick a sixth in there, which is also, uh, well, I don't want to get into it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this song, I think, was probably, after if you listen to all the songs, it's probably my favorite song out of the, the bunch. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, the two genres of music that I like are jangle pop and sad beach music is like, ooh, together in one delightful package. So, I mean, it, you know, it just is kind of tailor-made to be something that I would enjoy. <laughs> but I, you know, I really like the kind of wordplay and the lyrics around the, you know, escape the grid, you know, and kind of those different meanings of, you know, the grid as infrastructure and the grid as, you know, talking about the musical grid um, that we've been discussing this whole time and um, kind of all the the play about like, oh, I don't like the shape I'm in. You know, I've got this system desperate to move. I wasn't crazy about that Archimedes part because I didn't feel like it scanned super well. But I feel like this could also just be maybe a thing where people in Australia say Archimedes differently than I would say Archimedes. I mean, it, Archimedes and patterns in me is kind of a, a bold rhyme. Um, <laughs> so I kind of approve of that. Um, just, you know, on like theoretically, <laughs> but it, it felt a little bit more jammed in there than the rest of the lines, which I felt like flowed pretty well. And I also really loved those backing vocals. Those were, those were fabulous. Yeah. I think we all pointed that out. That was, that was the highlight of the chorus for me. Yeah. And you know that Archimedes quote, right? 
No. Uh, moving the world. Yeah, it's uh, give me a place to stand, a lever long enough, and a fulcrum, and I can move the earth. It's uh, just sort of a reference to basics of physics, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it does sound familiar. All right, next All right. up, would you blow up? No, I was going to introduce you. Introducing the next song. It's Chumpy. Next up, we've got Jealous Brother with Uncle Jerry. my notes is that this is kind of a long story George and Jerry work on a car they test drive it cops chase them they escape Jerry's dad the titular man and George's uncle they work to allow them to paint the car red which I guess gets them out of the jam with the cops the story just kind of ends there so I don't know. I, I feel like the story arc for this is maybe not exactly quite right. Or I, part of me just wants to say cool story, bro, because I'm not really jiving too much with the story. It doesn't really, really grip me. And the song is kind of long clocking in at over five minutes. I kind of thought maybe they could trim that story down, just get that arc maybe defined a little smoother without some of the bumps in the middle. Uh, I did like that line that Jerry's dad is the titular man, meaning uh, the sort of the man in name only, I guess. Um, anyway, I thought that the instrumentation and the music in this was really good. Like the acoustic elements of the song, like there's a guitar, a banjo, a fiddle maybe, maybe more sort of acoustic instruments I missed. The drums, of course. I just thought it sounded great, and it sounded, to me, like sort of a Grateful Dead jam. And I, I love the sound of it. I just kind of wish that they would have tightened the story some and maybe focused it a little bit more. Got it down to four minutes or so. Probably my favorite musical element in the song is the sort of driving juke joint piano that you can hear like when George like slams the hammer down and they, they go really fast after the cops are chasing them. Just like that rambunctious, just jamming piano and it's, you know, the, it's the, there's been a speed up there. I just thought that was really great. And you know, I also feel like there was an opportunity missed to have sort of an accelerating tempo when they were going faster and faster when the cops chased them. But they didn't really seem to do that. Like, I think that section was all at the same tempo and maybe it wasn't the fastest part of the song. So some of the tempo changes felt a little bit divorced from the story. So those are my thoughts and my notes of what I wrote about this song. Yeah, well, like you mentioned, the, the um, you know, there was sort of a missed opportunity there with the... Uh 
you know, increase in tempo that another band actually takes advantage of. But we'll get to that later, I guess. But yeah, the, uh, this is a song about uh, two good old boys. Um, never meaning no harm. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's Trailer Park Stories, a country rock song about a car and about family. And yeah, it's like the Dukes of Hazard, I thought. And it's like three or four or five different songs slapped together. And I say that because the whole band mostly just pauses between these sections instead of trying to meld them. You know, I mean, at one point during the song, somebody actually does a count to start the next section. And that's kind of awkward to me. It's like the individual sections are good, and I think they each make uh, good separate songs, but the pauses are weird and awkward. And all of the singing is excellent, and the performance sounds great, uh, and the lyrics are kind of a neat little scenario, and, you know, praise for extended family, which is nice. This is another one where I, I don't know if I have a whole lot to add. I feel like you kind of uh, hit sort of the the main points of like, oh, there's kind of a missed opportunity of, you know, using the lyrics to support the the tempo changes or vice versa. And, you know, it is a story song, but it is also like pretty long without necessarily the amount of um, action, I guess, to, um, to support the five minute runtime. I didn't really like that titular man <laughs> phrase. Um, <laughs> that didn't really for me that didn't really seem like it went along with the the tenor of the rest of the lyrics you know I think the, the rest of them kind of have a certain register right like it's a little colloquial and you know storytelling and saying titular I don't know it kind of takes me out of it I guess yeah it definitely woke me up I was like whoa did you just say titular I have to look up what that <laughs> means now I think I know what it means all right let's move on to sober with waiting for the crash Hear the Jody's ringing in the back of your mind Singing C-47 coming down the line It's a nice thought getting home overnight But a week in a cot on the Queen Mary deck is alright And if it goes down there ain't a thing that the devil could do To hold a candle to what some of these boys have been through if you ever get used to sleeping in a real bed You keep on living your life as if you thought that you were already dead The rotors kick up dust till everybody's blind With the 27 Club in the back of your mind uh, this is so good that I don't really have all that much to say about it. This is one of the few songs that I played against a metronome to see what was going on. And if you set your metronome at 128 beats per minute, it lines up perfectly with the song all the way through, except for the last three measures of each chorus. And uh, also just uh, kind of a, another kind of a interesting and neat thing about this song, the verses in the chorus are each nine measures long when you know you typically will see like an eight measure or at least a multiple of four but anyhow uh he's playing at a consistent tempo until those last three measures where he speeds up and then immediately slows down to get back to 128 beats per minute and just all within the span of those last three uh measures of the chorus 
And I don't mind that at all. Uh, it definitely meets the challenge, and it does so in a way that is quirky and interesting. And I think uh, the tempo change is clearly melded with the song very well. Uh, I mean, it's a little weird, but I like it. And it's an approach that nobody else tried. It's a great voice as always, even with those notes that he kind of leaned on till they got a little bit bent. But it's great, dark lyrics and um, a really nice judicious use of the backing instrumentation. You know, I mean, it almost sounds like G&G, but it's so well supported by the other stuff in the background, too. The electric guitar, tambourine, and, and I'm guessing a bass in there. Yeah, I have in my notes that I think that I heard a couple of guitars, tambourine, and voice. So, yeah, I didn't hear a bass, I don't think, but maybe there was one in the background. The minimal production, I thought, was very well done. I really liked all of the military references and imagery in the song. Like, I had to look up some of them, and it was great in the lyrics he provided links to what all of those various terms meant, which I thought was very interesting, and all of the references he made. Like, I thought for a second the 27 Club was a military thing, rather than, you know, musicians dying at the age 27. I thought that line about, like, I'm going to put on some Stevie Ray Vaughan or some Johnny Cash or something, so something cool is playing in my Walkman or in my... Walkman shows how old I am. In my AirPods <laughs> or in my iPod before, you know, when I die and they pull me from the wreck or whatever, I want to have something cool playing. I thought that was a very cool line. I grew up in Olympia, Washington, which is very close to joint base Lewis McCord. So I thought the line about the Lewis McCord stripe on the plane was very cool. Uh, it just felt really, you know, authentic. And I got the feeling that the person who wrote it and the person who was singing really had those military experiences, which just made it that much cooler. If I had to criticize something, I felt maybe too often he leaned into the raspy voice uh, which I thought at times was just slightly overdone. Maybe just dial it back 10%. And at the end, I really like that mysterious uh, minor major nine chord, the James Bond chord at the end. That was just a very cool, cool way to end the song. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, you, you mentioned the word authentic, and I feel like that is one of the great strengths that, you know, Sober has. Like, I love that he has a very, like, distinct voice as a songwriter right like you really know when it's um one of his songs and he's really coming at it from this you know it does feel very authentic and and that he's you know writing things from his own experience you know and and just really has a strong sense of himself and i like that i didn't really like the the vocals honestly because i did feel like you know they were a bit you know flat at parts and the raspiness you know i think was just it's too much you know like i think that it would sound better just kind of judiciously you know sprinkled in here and there to accent things but it sort of felt like oh there's just like it's going on like all the time which you know for, for me was very distracting when listening to the song and i ended up thinking about that much more than kind of the the lyrics or, or the music or kind of the rest of the song because i found that aspect of the vocals to just kind of stand out not necessarily in a good way mm. Next up, we've got... But yeah, I like those details. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I like, I like all those details as well. Um, you know, the <laughs> in case it's still playing when they find your body after the crash and, you know, teaching teaching people music on the broken guitar. I mean, there's oh, yeah. a lot of good that was images. A, that was a yeah. cool line, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay, next up, we've got The Dutch Widows with An Awkward Mend. This is only it's a 
And this has got to be the fastest tempo change of the entire competition. <laughs> and that is, they count in at a different tempo than the song actually begins at, which I think is kind of hilarious. <laughs> so the count in sets you up for thinking it's going to be at one speed, and then they immediately drop to a different tempo. So, like, they could have just ended it there, and that would have been a creative tempo change that I would have enjoyed. And I think I read in the liner notes for this song that it was sort of a nod to their drummer who apparently does that who goes one two three four and then has a really slow tempo which i think would drive me absolutely insane so absolutely hilarious i really enjoyed that part of it i didn't get a lot of difference between verse and chorus like there's not a distinct chorus pop in this song so for me it just led it to feel a little bit samey samey throughout I thought the speed up in the bridge was pretty great. It's got a nice energy, and that, sp that speed up I thought was well performed and worked. Uh, I like the section with the weird vocalizing that makes no sense, like it was in a secret twin language or something. And my ear kept trying to figure out what they were saying. I think I may have rewound it a few times before thinking, I can't make out what that is because those are not real words. And, like, also in the liner notes, I was trying to figure out what the song was about. You know, it's like, obviously they've had sort of, there's some bad decisions they made, and they were frustrated. And I think that's great, you know, to have inspiration from, you know, feeling frustrated or having, you know, made some bad decisions or having a crappy week. But you have to share it with the listener. Like, you know what you're talking about, but I don't. And... Like, if it's completely vague and I have no idea why you're frustrated or annoyed or what bad decisions you made, it's like, it really doesn't do a lot for me. So, be more specific, have some good imagery, like, tell me a story, like, explain why and not what, I think I would, would be my advice. I guess I would disagree with that. I actually liked the lyrics. And I know what you're saying, that they're, you know, vague and nobody kind of knows what they're actually about. But I think this is kind of a, a failing to me in a lot of these, um, you know, like Songfight and Songfight adjacent songs is that people end up being very explicit about, you know, storytelling or, you know, like, oh, I got to make it like super clear what I'm talking about and just kind of lay everything out for the listener. But it's like if I go and listen to, you know, music just outside of this and, you know, my regular life, it's like there's all kinds of like crazy, opaque, weird lyrics. You have no idea what they're talking about. And it's fine, you know, it's like, you're, it's sort of about creating a mood, about the sound of the words. And, you know, I really liked the the title in here, An Awkward Mend. Like, I don't know, you know, specifically what he's talking about, but I like the sound of that phrase a lot. And so I think that I would have the opposite, you know, reaction to that. It's like, oh, it doesn't have to always be super, super clear what something is about or what you're referring to, because people, you know, in the real world write songs all the time that are just for them. And you know, coming out of their own experience without necessarily having to make everything really clear for the listener. Yeah, there, there's something wrong with the accessibility of song fighters and spin tuners and neuroiners where you can just <laughs> message them or you can post on the boards and say, 
uh, this is frustrating. What the hell is this about? Instead of any album that you buy from, you know, any uh, national artist who you, you just take what you're given. And if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And if you understand it, great. If you don't understand it, then you got to live with that too, which is fine. I mean, if I had a problem with that, then I, I wouldn't have gotten into They Might Be Giants, you know? Yeah, but in some cases, there's lots of really powerful imagery, and you can sort of impose your own meaning on top of the lyrics. And that meaning, you're very sure that that's what the the artist was trying to say, because it makes so much sense to you for some reason. And I, I just didn't really feel that in this song. Uh. But, you know, I listened to it for maybe four days, a couple times a day, so... Maybe with a little bit more, I would have gotten more out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's like the shining example, you know, of how I, I think that type of thing should be. But I also, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily critique songs for saying, I don't know what you're talking about, which I think is kind of a common critique that ends up being made. I think it was mentioned in a few of Jim Seattle's reviews on, on the boards as well. I don't know if it was specifically about the song or not, but I, you know, I, it, it doesn't bother me if you take these songs as like songs that exist in the world in the context of the rest of the world instead of just you know a song competition where people are assigning scores you know yeah uh, I think Micah refers to it as death of the author where you're just given what you're given and uh, you get out of it what you get out of it so I mean that doesn't mean that Chumpy shouldn't want what he wants in terms of you know more specificity but uh, but yeah I get it but what did I think about this song? I'm, I'm glad that you asked. The first sentence of the bio for this song is, quote, I found this challenge super hard because tempo changes in songs are wrong and shouldn't be allowed. Uh, after, <laughs> yeah. after I read that, I reached into my desk and got out a gold star sticker and I stuck it right onto my screen, right next to that song bio, and it's still there. So... Uh, yeah, I totally agree. This is a neat rhythm, and the instruments sound good, I think. I like the singer's voice, but I think he's overdoing the low notes on this one. Like, I, I think sometimes they get low enough that he's maybe straining them because they're quiet and less clear. The whole song, I think, should have been modulated up at least two half steps to make it so he's not, you know, going that, that, that far low. The first tempo change is not very well melded, and it sounds like it just goes into a different song. The change in percussion instruments really only kind of magnifies that difference. But then the tempo change goes back to, you know, the first part at the end. And when that happens, it's done so smoothly and it's incorporated so well that I can't help but imagine that if they just nudged things around a bit, then maybe the first tempo change might have worked fine, too. You know, could have worked as well as the second tempo change, but it just sort of didn't happen for whatever reason. Anyway, overall, I like this. I like the weird groove and I practice that awkward men dance every day. Um, it is not difficult <laughs> and it certainly improves the overall experience of the song. I'll have to try it. It's very easy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, right? Yeah, I'm looking at the diagram right now. <laughs> it is not difficult at all. All right. Let's see. Well, moving on to Timothy Patrick Hinkle's A Lost Love and a Roving Eye. Something in my eye, something in my eye. The world is one to cry out in pain and rise in pain. 
So just to be clear, it's not Tim Hinkle, it's Timothy Patrick Hinkle. Now, uh, I used to give uh, Chumpy a hard time about having a two-syllable moniker instead of something elegant like a jerk or owl, but Timothy Patrick Hinkle is bringing the syllables back, baby. Um, <laughs> it uh, breaks my heart that I didn't enjoy this song because I'm a fan of both Timothy Patrick Hinkle and Tim Hinkle. But uh, the backwards percussion starts out a little annoying, and then it doesn't let up for like four minutes. And it's mixed so loud. I'm not against backwards percussion when used carefully, but I think I prefer it as an occasional effect instead of the primary percussion for a song, for any song, really. This song is so ambitious, but it doesn't have all that much for me. The vocal harmony falters a little here and there, and I think it could have been planned out a little bit better in a couple of sections. And speaking of those sections, they are not melded well at all. This sounds like different parts of different songs slapped together. One section stops, and then there's a pause with a sustained chord, and then the next bit starts, and one section doesn't seem to have much to do with the other section other than you know some consistent instrumentation and of course the vocals and of course the lyrics are a lot <laughs> yeah the lyrics are quite a lot so apparently it's about a fantasy novel about dragons and there's a girl who gets a very very small dragon stuck in her eye and then she later gets it removed, but it's sort of a harbinger of more dragons that appear and destroy the village or something. Uh, it's very ambitious. You know, I imagine it must be hard to summarize or even take a scene from uh, a fantasy novel and turn it into a song. So I definitely admire the challenge. And there's definitely a lot of really evocative lines. So... You know, in this case, for some reason, I'm not hung up on having to know exactly what it's about just because the lyrics are evocative and I feel like I can kind of put my own interpretation onto it. It reminds me, there's there's a Ween song that begins, A child without an eye. And it just kind of reminds me of the manic energy of parts of this song. Uh, I feel like there's like kind of a, a weird, quirky Beatles song embedded in this prog rock Jethro Tull number, and they kind of take turns doing their pieces. And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I definitely like the slower sections more than the sort of more dark Jethro Tullish prog rock sections. And I, I definitely did not like that backwards snare sound, or maybe it was a backwards cymbal. Whatever it was, it got really tiring really quick. And as Ryan mentioned, it was mixed loud. It could have been used way more sparingly. It just kind of ruined a lot of the song. And it was in both sections, sadly. So that wasn't great. And, you know, there's some really good ideas here, but the song is marred by its length and some of those unpleasant-sounding production choices. 
but I definitely give him points for being ambitious. You know, there's there's a lot of cool ideas in here and a lot of cool lines and I didn't know that Timothy Patrick Hinkle could sing that high. Dude must have an incredible range. He can get really low and there's some parts which I think he's singing in his falsetto at parts of this. So very impressive vocal performance. Yeah, I will disagree at least somewhat about the backwards percussion. I just kind of like backwards sounds like that and uh, weird noises in, in people's productions. So it maybe, you know, maybe could have used a little bit less or, you know, a little bit quieter, but I, I like that there's this kind of like different, like weird ass sound <laughs> mixed into these songs here. The story in this is definitely a lot, but it kind of weirdly felt hard to grab onto like an actual story or what was, you know, supposed to be being expressed in each one of these verses for something that, you know, is about something as uh, visual, let's say, as, as you know, floating, flying, attacking eyeballs, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's like such an image, right? But somehow I feel like, oh, like, why are there so many, you know, verses and choruses set, like here? It, it feels very long. I, I don't know what I'm, you know, supposed to be getting content-wise out of each one of these sections that's different from the previous section. So, yeah, I don't know if maybe it's just the way that it's phrased, but I think it probably could have been trimmed down a bit. I mean, maybe that's not what you want to do with like a, a prog rock epic. But, you know, in terms of my personal taste, I think I would have maybe done a little bit more editing on that. It's not my favorite Timothy Patrick Hinkle song I've ever heard. So did you feel like the lyrics were a bit vague and hard to understand? Yeah, I mean, I think it maybe just had a bit of that like 19th century novel <laughs> syndrome where it's like it feels a little bit formal in the way that he's writing these lyrics so it's a little bit hard to follow for the modern listener I guess I mean there's a lot of kind of you know it, it's a little bit more of a formal register and um it just yeah it, it felt a little bit vague for something that could have been very very visual and very you know had a lot of impact because yeah. it's flying eyeballs I mean come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's but it's also Flying, <laughs> yeah, but it's also flying worms flying into people's eyeballs and burrowing into people's flesh, which it's, I, I'm not getting that wrong, am I? No, I think I think that's right. Yeah, so, so I mean, th he refers the to them as worms, but okay. it might just be that since they're flying, they're actually dragons. But the thing is, it's like I don't have enough information. If the first one in this story flew into this woman's eyeball then it's got to be pretty small. And if she ostensibly, you know, survived and uh, I, I don't see, I don't know what the hell's going on, but it's, I mean, how many things do you want to burrow into your eyeball? Absolutely just, just, zero. Okay. Yeah. Me too. We, we, we're similar that way. <laughs> um, but, so I thought it was like, maybe the worms are flying into people's eyes and causing the, and, and like pulling out the eyes and like, you know, causing the eyes to fly around. Um, maybe I am, that I don't might know, be maybe, <laughs> maybe the fact that we're having so much confusion over this is, you know, a sign that, that this could have um, <laughs> been a little <laughs> bit more clear. Yeah. But best version of these lyrics. I mean, <laughs> you know, how much of that do you, do you like that imagery? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you like, do you prefer them to be burrowing in or pulling out the eyeballs? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the thing that this is based on too is by E. Nesbitt, apparently, who I, I had no idea that she wrote things about dragons getting in people's eyes. You know, she was writing in like the 
maybe early 1900s, right? Like late 1800s, early 1900s. Like I, I kind of think of her as like, you know, she wrote like the boxcar children or, you know, whatever these kind of good natured <laughs> things, not, not so much about like the flying eyeballs and, you know, and, and dragon attacks and so on. So it's, it's a much more um, gruesome sounding thing than I would have expected from something inspired by E. Nesbitt. Ryan, I think you're next. Oh, sorry, the, the railway children. Not, not the boxcar children, the railroad children. Yeah. Yeah. See, see I, I, I don't know much about her uh, at all, really. I, I, I mean, the name I just kind of glossed over as one of any of a zillion different fantasy authors. But if she's not predominantly a fantasy author, and if she was writing fantasy stuff about dragons back in the 19th century, anyway, then you know that's still before Tolkien and, and any of them, really. So it might be worth looking into. Unless it's got a lot of eye burrowing content, which uh, I can live without. <laughs> okay. The real I don't want to get all... and the uh, and all the all the eyeballs they saw on the boxcar. <laughs> yeah, here I am getting all high and mighty about body horror. Um... <laughs> Next up, we've got the brew house sessions with a little bit of heaven. this last time I really like the lead singer's voice I think it's super expressive and it's really confident and it sounds great in the context of the rest of the band the lyrics in this are really heartfelt and I know exactly what this song about it's about loving one's children which you know unlike burrowing eyeballs is a concept that I can get behind it's touching <laughs> And it obviously comes from a place of love, but I do have some things that I didn't particularly like about this song. For me, it felt a lot like an extended jam. I didn't really hear distinct sections, and it, it just it was a little bit samey-samey throughout, and it's mostly at the same volume. I would have appreciated some dynamics, some change-ups, Besides the slowdown at the end, I think is the only real change-up that happens in the song. I think that would have helped make it a little bit more listenable. And I, d I thought the song was sincere. I did not think it was sappy. I think it was very possible for this to veer off into sappy territory. But So good job for avoiding that. Uh, for me, it just came off as heartfelt. So I'm happy about that. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that when I was editing Last Round's podcast, that when I put the Brewhouse Sessions MP3 uh, into Logic for, again, their, their round one entry, it was a lot of sound. So uh, it was like, I'm not going to say that it was just a, a bright rectangle, 
but it was closer <laughs> to a big white rectangle than anything else, meaning the, uh, you know, the sound waves were very loud. And, and we've had that with some others. I mean, we used to have that problem with um, the lowest bitter. He got his stuff figured out. The problem with the lowest bitter, though, it was all clipping and it was all distorting. I'm not hearing that so much with this at all. I think that they're just really either, depending on how you look at it, good or maybe just overambitious about maximizing the volume on the MP3. Yeah, they're really hitting the maximizer hard. Yeah, and I guess that's fine. I mean, I think this turned out sort of fine, but I mean, your ear is better than mine on that chumpy in terms of the volume of the MP3 in general. But anyhow, uh, for me, you know, this song certainly avoided that thing that I've been complaining about where a song pauses and then restarts a different section at a different tempo. And I appreciate that. This, you know, this definitely didn't do any of that. The singer is really giving a performance. The music is fine. Uh, I think it's performed well and mixed well. As Chumpy mentioned, it sort of hits this one groove and this one mood and this one message, and it stays there throughout the song, or at least until the slowdown uh, at the final chorus. And uh, that slowdown sounds a little sloppy to me, though. Like, I think the drummer and the rhythm guitarist might be on different planets. It gets a little messy from the time that that tempo change starts and through to the end of the song. The lyrics are nice. I doubt that anyone could say anything bad about those lyrics without sounding cynical, but, you know, why would they? Because uh, they're nice lyrics. Can I say something cynical about the lyrics? Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I found them sappy. I found them pretty schmaltzy. I, you know, this is another song, I'm sorry, where I didn't really have a whole lot of notes about this one, so I'll probably have to just follow up and, you know, um, just to be fair to everybody, you know, like write some written reviews if I have time, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I give me the flying eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. a lot of, a lot of sugar um, in these lyrics. And a, you know, a little, like, a little. The person that <laughs> this is written for, you know, like it's like, oh my god, this is so sweet. You know, my my dad loves me so much, but I don't know. Like as a listener, it kind of leaves me cold a little bit, just because it is. It does feel like very, very sappy to me. Yeah. Well, you do kind of famously hate children and happiness, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of it's kind of my shtick i'm sorry but yeah <laughs> well we kind of all do some of us can't really say it out loud though <laughs> uh, let's move on to the newfangled trolleys with their song dat studio money well in a perfect world you'd love me for me i do what's natural but i'll force my voice to sound how you want i'm dodging rainbows but where you are stormy so Take your coffee and move on to someone who gives a fuck Yeah, where I come from, intention is everything the way I mean What I say is how what you said is mean How dare I put my true self on display for you I puke the unexpected while you're asking me for routine I'll stick with my acoustic guitar, my washboard at my face While you shove your drums into your poker face here to are the practices I keep A pattern never changes on the cactuses I sleep God forbid I keep it interesting and make changes to a song No, it's get the same old chorus so the zombies sing along um, On our previous podcast, I wondered aloud if I'd heard these guys before And I'd made some guesses and I think I was wrong uh, You know, I couldn't place them at the time But... Now I think I know. Do you know who these guys are? No, who are guys? they? 
I'm pretty sure that this is a previous Spin Tunes competitor who used to submit under the name Jerry Skids. Does that ring any bells at all? Yeah, if you were in the Discord, you would know that Jerry Skids is in the Discord talking about songs, so... I'm pretty sure that this is that guy. Yeah. Tommy uh, spins the Jerry Skids song, Not a Good Guy, at almost every listening party pre- or post-show. And uh, I listen to that one regularly on my phone because it's been there on my playlists for years. Not a Good Guy is uh, from the Meme Challenge, from one of the old, old spin tunes. And it's, it's hilarious. It's about that uh, evil Burt meme. And it's a great song, too. That's the thing, though. It's like it's not just a, just a funny sort of novelty song. It's also a really, really good song with really good vocal harmonies and everything. But anyhow, I just love it. So I think I might have put that mystery to rest. And uh, I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll see as time moves on. But yeah, I love this song. The washboard is mixed very well this time around. The tempo changes are done well. It switches between the intro and the verse. And then again between the verse and the mainstream chorus. And back to the verses and then the slower chorus. And I think all of those switches seem smooth and natural. I like how the newfangled trolleys cannot help but be enjoyable even when portraying something ostensibly vapid. And you'd probably know what I'm talking about. I mean, the mainstream chorus uh, with the repeating its mainstream backing vocals. My favorite uh, part. Yeah, and I believe that is supposed to represent a conformist, predictable, repetitive approach. Why do they make me love it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yet... Yet, you know, even that part is catchy and it's a fun listen and it only gets better when the backing harmonies kind of switch out to the what you like parts. And I, I think he just sort of can't help it. Can't help but, you know, be a great listen. And uh, just like the trolley's last entry, this song is a nonstop barrage of words. Yes. Lyrics, just line after line after the line. And lines like intention is everything. The way I mean what I say is how what you said is mean, which is tough to parse on the first listen. And that kind of results in continued enjoyment and subsequent listens because you're trying to figure out what he's getting at, uh, if that makes any sense. At least it did for me. But anyhow, is the purpose of this song to be critical of the judges? You know, they ranked sixth out of 32 songs. And two judges, including me, ranked them in the top three. And I took a look back at all of the previous reviews, and I didn't see anything that I could interpret as criticism that their previous song wasn't mainstream enough or wasn't derivative enough. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe it's not about the judges. and Maybe the song is saying, you know, I'm going to be myself instead of a song saying uh, the judges are lame. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not always about you, Ryan. How dare you? <laughs> uh, you hit upon a lot of what I have in my notes. I really, really love the whole it's mainstream backing vocals in that chorus. Uh, delightfully mainstream and just <laughs> just incredible ear candy. Uh, just <laughs> harmonies done so well that you can't help but just grin from ear to ear when you hear them. That whole section just really hits and it's just really great. I love the up-tempo sections, too. Again, with the rapid-fire rhymes and lyrics, and it all just works, and you're just kind of mesmerized by it when you hear it. 
Uh, I love the sound of the, of the guitar and the bass and the washboard working together. It's well mixed. It just all comes together and works as a cohesive whole for me. Um, like you mentioned, the, the tempo changes are executed smoothly. If I had to complain about anything about this song, there's just a little meta here, and there's a little bit of navel-gazing on the on the overall subject matter. Like, you know, I understand there are some frustrations that may have inspired this song, but it partially comes off as some self-obsessed whining of a tortured artist. Yeah, uh, and that's bad when other bands do it. Exactly. When we do it, <laughs> it's totally understandable, so... It's, you know, it's great meta when it's our meta, but, but, you know, that didn't bother me at all because I love this song. Like you can just call me an idiot in the verses. And when you go to the, it's mainstream chorus, I'm totally happy. Yeah. I didn't really love the, the meta in the lyrics. I don't know. It, it came across as whiny to me and it's, I don't know, like, I guess their music is very normal sounding for somebody who's making these complaints, I guess, you know, like it's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, if they're making music like Flebia, <laughs> you know, it's like a little bit more experimental, you know, it's like, oh, like you don't like my micro tonal <laughs> experiments or, you know, it, I feel like it's, oh, like, oh, a washboard and acoustic guitar. I mean, it's not that revolutionary. It, it doesn't really warrant the level of complaining <laughs> to me that is happening in the song lyrically. So I don't know. It came across as just kind of bitter to me in a way that wasn't really warranted for, you know, if, if we're getting into kind of the meta analysis here. I don't really understand the cactus line. Can you explain the cactuses line to me, either of you? Uh, a I pattern ever that, changes on the cactuses I sleep, it says. I kind of looked at that and I wasn't sure and I just gave it a pass. I, I think the pattern is not on the cactuses. I think the pattern never changes. And comma, he does the Yoda thing uh, where he ends with a verb. So take him as, a, as two separate sentences. The pattern never changes, period. On the cactuses I sleep. That's how I took it. And it's just maybe him talking about semi-martyrdom or you know like martyrdom isn't the right word you you know what i mean yeah like suffering i guess yeah i don't know I, I kind of feel like it was maybe just like a placeholder to rhyme with practices i keep and practices you know, oh yeah practices to, like, and then, <laughs> cactuses yeah practices and cactuses huh but you know if you're hardcore like the newfangled trolleys you might sleep on a cactus just to show how dedicated to your craft you are <laughs> That's probably it. Um, or, or just to justify a rhyme. Yeah, it is, it's a pretty great rhyme, so it works for me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like those, uh, I like those harmonies. Those are nice. But yeah, like I said, I didn't feel like the music justified kind of its own bitterness. Yeah, it was kind of hard to figure out if he was referring it to anything specifically. And of course, I couldn't help but think, well, he's talking about the judges, so, you know, but hard to tell. Uh, I thought but, it was kind of just a general complaint. I guess I didn't necessarily take that as as just, you know, referring to the judges because I don't remember seeing anything where people talked about them being too, you know, weird or acoustic or what have you. And like, oh, you know, you need to sound like Lady Gaga. I don't remember seeing any reviews like that. So I kind of took it as being like a sort of general complaint yeah. about the world. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Lady Gaga. Doesn't she have a song called Poker Face? Yeah, that's yeah. why. I yeah, yeah. There's a mention of that in the lyrics. That's right. Well, you shove your drums into your poker face. Hmm, okay. Drums are so mainstream. So mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> really overdose. So derivative. <laughs> I heard drums in that other song. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, but but speaking about sort of meta whininess, um, have have you heard our uh, new podcast theme, which is meta and whiny? <laughs> and it's a delight, I assure you. Yes, yes. Which uh, would get panned, was I'm it sure, on the, by Alan. the one that was on the previous podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just uh, kind yes. of bring, yeah. I'm just kind of bringing up how, yeah. It's uh, it's I get it's fine when we do it, is what you mean, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect. It's wonderful when we do it. It's charming. Uh, but yeah. Anyway. Next up, we've got Brian Gray with "End of the World." The end is nigh. The earth is dying as we sing. Angels crying to their kingdom in the sky. The end is nigh. A perfect day, the kind that can wash away apathy and turn the dark. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Brian is teaming up with some of his family members to bring the characters of the Sandwich Board Man, Amanda, Elizabeth, Daniel, and Globron to the stage. Uh, I like how they each sing their bits, and they, you know, they come together very nicely with overlapping parts at the end. Uh, the Sandwich Board Man bookends the song. It's very, very musical theater and very well done. You can almost just copy and paste that line from my previous review. Brian's obviously very good at making something sound theatrical, and he does a good job with this as well. Normally, I'm not a big fan of spoken word bits, but when they're funny, they work for me. That whole thing about Globron complaining about how the people on the ship are all jerks very much appealed to me. I thought that was really great. Um, but what does he have against Glowhop Rock? Really? <laughs> I don't know. Glowhop Rock <laughs> is awesome. Yeah. And I know that there's some tuning artifacts and glitches which will annoy the crap out of Ryan, but I, I was able to look past those. The thing that bugged me a little bit, because, you know, there's very little that I can complain about this song. I feel like the harmony on 11 11 and something light years was just oddly dissonant. Like, uh, it didn't seem like it was like, a, you know, a third above or, a, you know, a third below or something. It just it felt like it was a weirdly dissonant interval. And maybe that was the plan. But it's a repeated motif, and you know you hear it in a number of different spots, like when it's in Globron's section, and when it's also uh, at the end when all of the parts overlap. So yeah, my ears just did a weird double take whenever I heard it, and I thought, is that right? I would, I almost want to just solo that section and hear if it's actually dissonant, or maybe just my ears are going a little bit crazy. But overall, this is you know very impressive for all the theatrics and the storytelling. I think it almost justifies its five-minute length, and it's 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 a fun listen. And Brian is very good at what he does here. Absolutely. Uh, having said that, you kind of hinted to this before. Uh, okay, Brian, there is no way that you don't hear that tuning artifact just before the 16-second mark, the V in the second "The End Is Nigh" from the Sandwich Board Man. 
I can't imagine how that got past quality control. Eliminated. Uh, yeah, disqualified. <laughs> Some of the sections don't meld very well together. Like Sandwich Board Man uh, doesn't meld great with anything, but uh, I'm very much buying it anyway uh, as sort of a dramatic open and then sort of an end tag for what is likely uh, the first number of this stage musical. The switch from the Daniel section to the Globron section has no transition. It doesn't meld at all, which is weird because the switch from the Globron section to the combined part, which also reincorporates Daniel's section uh, that has uh, another tempo change, is done very well and very smoothly, and I buy that. So I was kind of like wondering, well, he did it so well there. Why couldn't he just do sort of more or less the opposite in the beginning? Anyhow. Peon's log is kind of funny, but you could probably use some tweaks prior to dress rehearsal. Uh, it's a little long, I think. Uh, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I hope I get to hear some glow hop rock sometime in the near future. Um, so those are my minor criticisms uh, to this submission, which is excellent and brilliant and so well performed and so well produced. The song is delightful. The Amanda and Daniel sections are particularly strong, and I wonder if that guy is going to get that girl before they both get dissolved or driven underground. Anyway, I'm definitely going to rank this song quite high, uh, but tuning artifacts, come on. It's a deal breaker right there. Yeah. Come on, this is a rookie nonsense. <laughs> yeah, so... I'm not sure if the part where I was like complaining about musical theater is in um, <laughs> one of the parts you're going to snip out of the, the podcast later, but you know, this is something where it is really well done. And I think if I were actually in a theater, you know, watching a musical that incorporated this whole thing into a scene, like I'd be into it, you know, I'd be like having a good time and enjoying it as a song that I would just kind of listen to like I, I really have trouble getting into it it's just my genre bias I don't think there's anything that was sort of you know done poorly or you know out, out of um I, I don't know it's just something that I really have trouble liking as you know songs to listen to and not like an entire theater experience it requires um, a bit of it requires a bit of investment it requires a bit of buying into the whole scenario yeah, yeah. And it's like very clearly like a setup, you know, it's not an entire act in and of itself, right? It's it's very clearly just like, oh, we're going to set this up and then some more stuff is going to happen right after this. But I don't know, it feels a little yeah. incomplete story-wise maybe. Um, to me, I found the cray-cray line very annoying also. I absolutely love the overlapping vocals thing at the end. That is like the one, you know, musical theater thing that I have a huge, huge soft spot for. I love it when there's, you know, the thing where it's like everybody's lions come in at the end and they're all singing over each other. And I thought the performances were all really, really good and like wonderful vocals. But, you know, just in terms of my personal taste, I had trouble getting into this one. All right. Okay. Time to move on to Jocko Homomorphism doing Theorist's Dilemma. Dodge assassination. Just let me explain. 
Just please let me explain. Welcoming committee shows their guild city. All expenses paid for. Research and my labor. Colleagues are enlightening. But the lease is tightening. Jamie, I think the 7 8 sounds good. The 7 8 time signature. And, uh, you know, also, I think the switches back and forth to 4 4 time work fine too. Uh, Jocko references Oingo Boingo in the song bio, but I'm getting strong Dare to be Stupid vibes from this. You know, the whole Danny Elfman slash Devo slash Weird Al aesthetic is a fine enough direction, but it might suffer a bit when we have to rank it against more melodic lead vocal lines from the likes of Sarah Parsons and Stacking Theory and Sober and Cave Dwellers. The story reads well in the lyrics, but I'm going to suggest that it's difficult to follow unless you know the background and then read along with the song. But I don't think that's really a problem. Again, we're going to take it at kind of face value here. Music-wise, it hits a vibe and a groove in the verse and a similar vibe and groove during the chorus and doesn't really stray from that throughout the song. Uh, The gradual tempo change is very effective at slowly increasing the level of stress and anxiety which is intentional, uh, and I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, You know, the tempo change was very effective at doing what it set out to do, but, you know, what if I don't appreciate what it set out to do? I'm going to have to balance the effectiveness of the composition against my own distaste uh, for tension and stress. Like, I enjoy Brian Gray's songs, uh, and when I listen to them, I'm not stressed out about an alien invasion, But when I listen to this Jocko song, uh, which is also enjoyable, uh, my shoulders start, you know, uh, moving upwards towards my ears. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the gradual increase in tempo to add stress worked a little too well. Uh, I felt Mm. a little bit of that, too. This is another song that features characters and events from a giant fantasy novel, which maybe isn't a great choice if you want to connect with your listener who probably hasn't read it but it did lead to some kind of interesting lines like one line that really stuck in my head was uh and i'm staying up all night i've got a swelling itching brain now please let me explain i I just thought that sounded cool uh sometimes when i was writing my reviews i thought i've kind of got a swelling itching brain right now The music is pretty interesting. Uh, I think I may have caught a couple of key changes and some time signature changes, but somehow, even with all those change-ups, it still managed to sound repetitive somehow. You know, even with the tempo increasing and then the the time signature changes and the key changes, it was a bit repetitive sounding, even with all of that stuff. The good news is it wasn't more than five minutes long, so, you know, two minutes and 30 seconds, I could handle some increased tension for that amount of time. So that worked for me. But yeah, I like this song. But again, I also agree with you. It's not very strong melodically. And it's going to have difficulty competing with songs that were. Yeah. Yeah. I found the story pretty hard to follow. Like even the summary in the song bio. My eyes were glazing over a little bit. And I like science fiction. I don't know. I was just like reading this like, I, okay, Galactic Conquest. I don't know. Like I just... I couldn't really follow what was happening in this. Um, I did enjoy listening to it. You know, like you said, I think it might have some trouble competing um, with some of the other ones that are, you know, kind of more melodically strong, but, or hookier, but uh, overall I, I 
liked listening to it. You know, it was one that was like, oh, this is a cool sounding one. And, um, you know, I like kind of the odd things that they're doing. Can you explain the plot to me, though? No, <laughs> God. I, well, this is the one that's The Dispossessed, right? By Ursula uh -huh. Le Guin. Yeah. Yeah. I get the impression that it's, uh, and now this is not looking at the thing right now, but if I remember right, he or she is sort of exiled or has to escape the planet, probably Earth, and goes to another planet where he's kind of welcomed as somebody who can research things and, and it helps them develop weapons. And he doesn't like that. So he kind of makes it free to everybody, all of his research. And then, you know, including their enemies. And then uh, he gets in trouble for doing that and has to go back to Earth where he hopes he gets uh, welcomed again. That's probably wrong uh, or maybe so sketchy that it's missing out on some key points. But that's kind of what I got from reading and not what I get from the song, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for the summary. <laughs> I, I think that's it. Again, I, and I I should read The Dispossessed. I love Ursula Le Guin. Left Hand of Darkness is a wonderful book, and she was always an incredible you know, person in terms of both an author and also somebody in general to look up to. So, Next up, we've got Cave Dwellers with Ricochet. Again, really great singing from Truth. I, I love his voice, and I think he does great things with it. Now, Ryan, you're the arbiter of whether speed-ups or slowdowns are executed well, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say these were done very, very well. I feel like this is right in their wheelhouse. Glennie and Truth, I know, have worked on a number of sort of proggy tunes before, and this, I think, was child's play for them. What do you think of that? I, I totally agree. I'm glad that you've crowned me with that <laughs> but yeah but i have been paying attention to it a lot i think it's weird and stupid and awkward when a band just stops one section and then starts a completely different section you know just it's good to have fills it's good to have transitions and a lot of them didn't do it and yeah no i agree yeah this song was was great at it and that was yeah. nice the production was just also killer I love Glennie's guitar work. Just really great solos and fills and licks and harmonized guitar parts. Totally works for me. 
And I tried to understand a little bit about what the song was about. I feel like that there's some some stuff about climate change in there, you know, rain filling up in the cisterns, and I thought there's maybe some stuff about the issues with the techno slash uh, surveillance state and uh, some of our other you know ills that we are currently facing in society. I feel like there's some deeper meanings to tease out in the song, and then I just I, I was like, come on. Can't we just have a song that appeals to my lizard brain? Like, can't we just have a song that's, you know, can we can we talk about fight, flight, feeding, fear, fornication, you know, all the lizard brain things. Like I don't want to tease uh, cars, out cars, girls. <laughs> exactly. I don't I don't want to tease out an allegory or find some deeper meaning in the lyrics. So I just kind of wish that they would just a- appeal to my baser self with some of their lyrics going forward just so I can I can get into it a little bit more but yeah I, I mean musically this is really strong good melodies great singing excellent production killer guitar work I loved all of that stuff about it I just wish they were singing about something that I can more viscerally connect with do, do we have any idea what this song is about I feel like it's about climate change maybe or surveillance state or facebook or yeah, i don't know but there's there's so many so many specific references though so i mean if it's about climate change then it's also about but i mean they say it's like 1984 and they say what uh, there was like uh what is it lyrics like and the column digs quickly while the townsmen turn sickly i was trying to figure out what the heck that is you know i know that a column can be like a military formation are they digging? It's it's so kind of hard to figure out. It was hard for me to figure out. Yeah. Also, I, I, I looked at uh, the Wikipedia disambiguation page for Ricochet, and I couldn't find any likely topics, too. Like, there's a lot of movies and books and comics and video games named Ricochet, but it didn't look like this song was about any of them. Okay, if it's about global warming or something, then that's fine. But then why the title? The title could have been anything. I'm not sure, right, because these are pretty opaque lyrics, but I would kind of interpret this as being about corporate spins that they're using to deflect attention from what they're actually doing to the earth. Mm. So like the column digs quickly, you know, I I would sort of see as like a drill, like, you know, um, fracking or something. So the townsman turns sickly, you know, being something where, oh, like they're being affected by whatever you know, this company is doing, but, you know, they, they don't care, right? That fits really well. And, you know, like the company survived the day, learned the proper, proper things to say and not to say. All the rules have changed. Everyone talks strange today. Like that part, when I was listening, I was like, is this a song that's like railing about, I don't know, like people's pronouns or something, you know, like, uh, oh, we have to like learn all these rules about how to talk these days. Um, because I feel like that is one way that that could be read. But I was like, eh, I don't know. Like if you look at all the other lines, I'm not sure if that's really what that's about. Maybe it's more just about like, okay, corporations know that if they say the right things, you know, in their ads, that they are able to kind of get away with a lot. But, you know, I think all the stuff about like 1984 and learning the right things to say and all of that, I think I, I would kind of see it as being about, you know, propaganda and advertisement PR and corporate image um yeah marketing so that's kind of how I would I still have trouble tying it back to ricochet then so it says ricochet where does it say Uh, ricochet the valleys cry and ricochet new slogans now maybe this is their cactus (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) oh I don't know 
know, maybe just know. Uh, things coming back, you know, echoing back to them to um, affect them. I don't know. I haven't done, you know, really a, a deep reading of this. This is just kind of from like looking over the lyrics. Maybe it's just that opening image, right, of kind of the, the echoing gunshot just seemed like a striking thing to base the rest of the song, or, you know, start as a starting point for the rest of the song. And they just named it that without yeah. necessarily that being the deeper message. I don't know. There's there's also like rifles raised to the sky and it's like, I'm, I'm trying to, and maybe just after coming off a sci-fi song after, you know, a number of sort of, after the Jocko homomorphism, a uh, sci-fi song directly before it. And then of course, Brian Gray, a couple of songs before that, I'm kind of like, maybe I was primed to misinterpret this song. I don't know, but yeah, um, yeah. otherwise, you know, Truth's Voice is wonderful and there is never a time that I don't want to hear it. The tempo increase during the intro is smooth and I think all of the instrumentation sounds good. The first tempo decrease is, cor- is incorporated very well. Uh, it sounds kind of like like a hemispheres era rush power chord pattern during the tempo decrease. And the different sections sound like different sections of the same song, uh, unlike, again, many of the other songs this round. Amazing guitar work, great performances, and a great production. You know, everything was done very well. And this is one of my favorites, but it's hard to tell how far up there this is going to rank because there are too many entries that are my very favorites which is bummer about judging. Yeah, I really like this one. And I feel like this is right in their wheelhouse in terms of the challenge. You know, like like you said, it's basically child's play for them because it's what they like to do all the time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one a lot. And I, I love truth singing. And there's just a lot of cool stuff in here. Uh, okay, next up, we've got Third Cat with Some Truths. Limping through my life these verses a lot i think they're very engaging uh the switch to the chorus is pretty good and all in all uh it sounds like a third cat song uh, by which i mean that it seems like the tempo change challenge uh, didn't throw him at all the hi-hat sounds almost like a metronome through the bulk of the song and it doesn't seem to change much at all which led me to think third cat mostly did what Daniel Sittler did, which is the time signature change resulting in what arguably is also a tempo change, by which I mean the three-quarter time in the verses has to be sung at a different speed than the 4-4 time in the chorus. You know, I, I think that if we wanted to disqualify anyone for this sort of thing, though we would have been discussing it in the judges chat before now. Uh, but I'm going to say that it checks that box regardless. And I mean, when we were discussing the challenge, I'd been a proponent of accepting double time or half time as tempo changes anyway. 
so why wouldn't I accept this? It's a it's a nice third cat song with interesting lyrics and nice backing vocals. And I don't think I've heard Third Cat use backing vocals quite like this before, uh, and I like it a lot. Yeah, I have the same note. I really like the singing and the backing vocals. Production is nice. I'm liking the music. I like that the the line, finding some truths are too much to agree to, is kind of like a reason why relationships sometimes break apart, right? You don't really know someone when you're first getting involved with them, and you can get pretty far involved with somebody before you discover certain truths about them that are deal breakers. And I think that that line sort of solidifies the reason that Third Cat, the singer, and I think it's Alice, the the love interest, are, are going through these difficulties. You know, they just can't they just can't deal with some of those harsh truths about the two of them. And I thought that was a really cool way of sort of painting the the problem. And some of the harsh truths are, are a bit weird, like robotic words of love. Like maybe the person, maybe third cat thinks that Alice doesn't really love him, but is just saying it robotically just as a need to express that or something. And neurotic blasts of fear, I thought was also another cool line. Yeah, you don't necessarily know how neurotic your partner is until you're a few years in. And uh, so maybe that's what the neurotic blasts of fear are about. I don't know about what the brain-leaking fog is all about, but it's, you know, interestingly evocative. And it's it's cool. It's a song about a broken relationship, and I can kind of get into that. Yeah, the tempo changes are pretty well done. I think they're all evenly divisible by the bass tempo that you hear with the clock ticking throughout the a couple of the sections uh, that emphasizes the bass tempo. Yeah, so I, I have nothing to really complain about this song. It's has, it's has a reasonable length. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't... Ha- there's something it's lacking that... Uh, I don't, I can't really hum along to it or something. I, I can, I can sort of picture in my mind's eye or hear in my ear's eye, my mind's ears, what it sounds like. But yeah, it's, it's not something I found myself humming. It's not super catchy. I think it'll be somewhere, somewhere in the, the upper middle of uh, my rankings. Um, this one was probably actually my second favorite out of all of these. Um, I really liked this one. Uh, This was the first one, actually, as I was listening through these. uh, And it was the first one as I was listening through, you know, a good chunk of these songs where I was like, oh, I really like this song. You know, like, uh, there's a lot of them. was like, yeah, that's okay. You know, that's okay. Um, Here's this thing I like about this, or here's this thing that I like about that. But this was the first one that I hit in my listening where I was like, oh, here's a song that I actually really enjoy. Like, I think that it has a bit more meat to it and a bit more catchiness than a lot of Third Cat songs that, you know, feel a bit more kind of floaty and atmospheric. And maybe, you know, it's an inverse relationship with some of the, like, production stuff, you know, like there's some things that I've heard that have, you know, felt a bit more more lush. But um, I just really liked listening to this and I, I thought the lyrics were a really nice combination of, um, like we were saying, like not necessarily laying everything out there super clearly, but, you know, you get the emotional gist of it and i'm looking at there's actually some very detailed liner notes here about the the tempo changes so 90 bpm 135 135 to 138 92 138 69 34.5 so it sounds like even if it doesn't feel like there's um a lot of changes it seems like there are actually a lot of things he's adjusting here next up We've got Governing Dynamics with Across the Wasteland. 
thought was this is an improvement from their last entry in the chorus department uh, there was a little bit of a problem last time where there was an actual chorus and I didn't realize it was a chorus because it wasn't significantly different from the verse and it was sung in the same sort of register as the verse so this is a definite improvement there the chorus is distinct it's got a nice lift and I'm happy when it comes along the lyrics themselves are, are a little bit vague, but again, I don't think it really matters because Travis is able to sort of paint a picture of, you know, maybe longing, I think is the emotion that I'm sort of getting. I don't really know, but I'm not sure it matters because Travis gets that feeling across with his vocal delivery, so I'm okay with the lyrics being mysterious and vague here. There's some cool references to, like, crawl up from the radio, which is like in the first verse, and then it comes back at the very end, and there's this like static blast that you can hear right before it goes to the crawl up from the radio line, which I think works pretty well. Sort of sounds like some, some radio static that you might hear. And in a couple places I noticed that there might be uh, a place where Travis can do maybe a few more takes to have sort of improved some of the vocal tuning. I can hear a couple pitch issues, uh, ironically on the word tuning, and everyone is buying up and tuning in. So yeah, that was an interesting place to have a, a little pitch problem. I like the penultimate chorus the best. That whole rep repeated motif of my heart is racing, I think sounds really good. My heart is racing. It's nicely climactic and it has a really good energy to it. I like the choruses in this song. I think, I think it's a little bit more focused than the last one, even though it's, you know, still has a runtime of almost five minutes. Yeah, but I, I like this song more than the last one. I appreciated the, the improved choruses. As usual, Travis is able to get a lot of feeling and expression across with his vocal delivery, which I think is probably the strongest point about this song. Yeah, um, I, I really like the clean or cleanish guitars that uh, that are doing some really neat stuff in the uh, you know towards the beginning i think thought they sound excellent i'm not as fond of the heavy distorted uh, guitar that pops up later in the song something about that tone is a little grating to my ear the panning of the toms bugs me and i don't get it and i don't really like it like is the listener supposed to be the drummer in this situation like someone who can somehow only hear the left tom isolated in the left ear. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me and it's distracting. The singing is wonderful, uh, both the lead vocal line and the backing vocals, and I like the lyrics too. You know, like Chumpy said, there's some neat stuff in there and it kind of, I kind of think it doesn't have to make sense. It has, he, he has some good turns of phrase, he, you know, something as simple as there, there's a sort of a reference to wolf and sheep's clothing or wolf and savior's clothing or something like that. And he tends to, I think, slip a lot of those little reversals uh, in his lyrics and, and it's always entertaining. The tempo change is incorporated very smoothly and naturally. 
And I think it's a good song. It might not be a standout, but it didn't have the common problems that a lot of the other entries had. Yeah, I like this one. I think that the it didn't even like strike me to feel like the lyrics didn't make sense because I don't know, to me, like they had very vivid images scattered through them where you really get a feeling from them, even if maybe there's not a clear narrative or, you know, really a clear setting when you think about it or when you kind of read it closely. But everything kind of made sense to me in terms of, you know, building towards a, a common idea and a common feeling. I like the guitars in this. Did not notice the Tom panning. Of course, probably now I'm going to listen back and be like, oh, <laughs> that's weird. But <laughs> yeah, no, uh, this one, you know, I felt like cohered really well as as a song and didn't feel like, oh, this is just an assignment. You know, um, it, it felt like something that people would would actually write for their band and like go out and play, you know. And yeah, I liked I liked these lyrics a lot. All right. Next up, we have Jim of Seattle with his song Snorkeling, Snorkeling. Snorkel for snorkel. Now, snorkeling ain't about killing them fish. It ain't about frying or grilling them fish. When you leave, them innards is spitting them fish. Snorkeling, snorkel fish, orkeling This song sounds pretty stylized, uh, pretty inoffensive, like a fun and simple sing-along. But uh, this is Jim of Seattle throwing bombs. And it is another attack in his long a career of bomb throwing. Chumpy and I thought we were being semi-transgressive when we rhymed day with day <laughs> and ape with ape and B with B in our silent advance entry for song fight. But here, Jim is rhyming fish with fish like 40 times in a row. <laughs> and just when you you know might be getting tired of that joke, he adds the secondary rhymes. So it's killing them fish, grilling them fish, still in them fish. And then after a couple of verses of good secondary rhymes, he pulls the rug out from underneath you and he ends the song with the secondary rhymes all being the same word looking. So it, it, it's Jim of Seattle is a terrorist. I mean, just put it out there. He it, it's uh, it's brilliant and the tempo changes sound entirely organic and this, you know, to the staging of this presentation. I don't know how high I'm going to rank this, but it's going to be way up there. Uh, now, of course, I've kind of said similar things about uh, too many songs already, so it's hard to say for sure, but I think this is a wonderful entry. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Me too. 
Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun polka. And I love how it really sounds like you're there in the tavern. You've got all the reverb of the room sounds from being in the tavern. There's laughing and unison singing, and there's the sound of chairs being moved when new people come in. Lots of background talking and ad libs and hand claps, and oh my god, like you feel like you're really there, and that is incredibly well done. I love the two clarinet solos played by Harriet, uh, um, Evelyn. And it, it's, it's really great when they call out faster, like the next time around, and Evelyn totally delivers a faster clarinet solo. Totally love that part. Uh, the lyrics are just charming and clever and sometimes random and just so much fun. She doesn't totally deliver. Well, she 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 kind of some of it gets flubbed up near the end. Does it get a little flubby? That... I don't know. I, I I feel like it's a it's a triumph for Evelyn. I don't know why. And why doesn't the singer know? <laughs> or why doesn't the singer know the name of the clarinetist? Was it it's the so singer random. or was it the barman? I, I couldn't tell who was Could... yelling for the for Harriet or Evelyn. Anybody. It's just so so random. <laughs> it's a little and random. So like, I don't know why. Why did why was that in there? So yeah, it's it's I don't know. Nice it, just, it feels detail, organic but... though, right? Like this is just like you just happen to be in this tavern when the singing of the snorkeling song came in, and you were lucky to have been there and heard it. Absolutely, but they're all him. So <laughs> I know, he I know. This out, he wrote this out. You know, it's deliberate, and this weird sort of random error that this speaker makes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like it. I'm not. Don't get me wrong, but I'm like, why that? So, it it, it yeah, adds yeah, to the authenticity, sense. right? It does. It, yeah. it makes it seem like it's not staged. Um, yeah. I, I love the climax at the end. It's like, you know, when they sing, you're looking at fish, you're looking at fish. And uh, at the very end, like, I think there's another, the clarinet. I think Evelyn comes back in during that section, which I just think sounds great. It has a tasteful fade into seabirds and foghorns, and it's out. Expertly done. Jim's going to be hard to beat. Like, the only real question I have about this song is, is it a novelty song? Is it slightly less than songs that come from a more serious place? But we can ponder that later, I think. But Well, I, I think it's definitely a novelty song, but I mean, it's also doing this other stuff, which uh, which is inventive and weird and weird choices that, how do I put this? They're so deliberate and <laughs> you know that he's, you know that he's, he's there and he's doing it on purpose and he's doing it for this effect of, you know, increased humor. It, it's it's just this other thing. You know, nobody does that. Nobody does this where he's just rhyming the same word 40 times in a row. It just doesn't happen. What's your take, Owl? Oh, my God, you guys. <laughs> I hated this song. What? How could you hate this, <laughs> this song? song was, this song was like a punishment to me. I was like, every time this came up, I was like, oh, my God, it's the fish song again. Oh, my Jesus Christ. <laughs> I can't believe you both. <laughs> it was like it was the most tedious. It was it was like being stuck with my little sister when she was in this really big raffy phase and just wanted to listen to like Baby Beluga all day long, um, just on repeat. Like I I don't know. Like it just felt like a children's song to me, but not like in a good way. Like in the kind of children's song that gets played on repeat because some toddler keeps screaming for it until it gets in your brain and drives you totally nuts um i mean i'm glad that you pointed out some of the little craftsmanship things that i was not able to overcome my feelings about this song to appreciate but i i, I don't know like i 
anybody can rhyme fish with fish like 40 times. <laughs> but nobody would. You know, secondary Because it's dumb. It's so dumb, but that doesn't mean that I want to hear it. I don't know. It just, I mean, it's, it's, it's well put together, you know, like the production and all the little like, you know, backing vocals and, you know, people shouting stuff in the background, even though that's all obviously very contrived because none of that is actually happening. But I just, I could not get behind this. I, it, it really, I'm telling you, it really felt like a punishment to me every time it came up and I was like, oh God, I have to listen to this so I can talk about it. <laughs> um, and I probably wouldn't like say this except that Jim has been very frank with his own reviews. So, you know, <laughs> you dish it out, then you get it back. Sorry, Jim. Again, I'm not judging. So my opinion doesn't really matter, but uh, I, I was not into this at all. I think that's fair. This might be another one of those songs that's uh, polarizing. You know, Chumpy and I might judge it up in the top 10 and we might have other people judging it in the bottom three. So who knows? Like I said, it's well put together. Um, you know, I respect the performance and, you know, the production and everything. But um, yeah, song itself, not for me. Yeah, but I get it. Again, I get it. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot. It's uh, it's uh, it's very much what it is. Yeah. Another song that is very much what it is, Temnir with 20 watts. elements in the song i think at one point it sounds like that there are monks that are singing backup vocals in a couple of places there's some good change-ups some good uh changes in both tone and dynamics the chorus melody i think is pretty good and when temnir sings it in his upper upper vocal range like on find a way to carry on at the end of the song i think it's exciting and one problem i had with this song is i was unable to perceive any tempo changes anywhere in the song i know that there's supposed to be a gradual shift in tempo of maybe 7 to 10 bpm but i can't hear it and if i can't hear it and i can't feel it maybe it's not there or maybe it's there technically but it didn't make any impact on me at all so on casual listening, I don't think I'd be able to pick out exactly where those 7 to 10 BPM shifts actually occurred in the song. So that was my main problem with the song. It's also just not quite as produced as some other Temnir songs. Like, I feel like if he maybe if he had more time, I think he alluded to this, that he would add more production elements and sort of build it up a little more. It feels a little bit rushed, but... I don't know, Ryan. You're the you're the the tempo poobah. Did did you catch any tempo <laughs> changes here? 
I read and trusted the bio, but I'm kind of with you. If I were if I were really suspicious of it, I would do what I did with some of the other songs and I'd put it into I'd put it into logic and have the metronome going and just line it up. I'm I'm not sure if he put the actual tempo in there only a few bands did. But uh, but it's it's easy enough to try and kind of, you know, tweak it until you find the actual tempo. And then to just uh, uh, check it for yourself, see if it goes off, you know, if it's perfectly fine for the first, you know, uh, 20 measures or something. And then it and then something weird is happening near the end, then it qualifies. But again, I didn't I, I didn't suspect this for whatever reason. I either heard it or thought that uh, that, yeah, that's that's fine. The thing is, though, that I, I do think that it sounds like he tried to hide the tempo change aspect of the song instead of featuring it. And I guess that's okay, but it's sort of not to the spirit of this challenge. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like if it's uh, if it's Iron Chef and you're given an ingredient and you're just hiding it and everything instead of featuring it, then you're you're kind of doing something wrong. This isn't Iron Chef, apparently, but uh, still, uh, some of those synthesizer sounds I thought were a bit dated, but that's fine. Uh, the verses are great, but I disagree with you, Chumpy, about the chorus. I think the chorus sounds more like a pre-chorus. And I kept waiting for the actual chorus to happen, but it sort of never showed up. I do really like the unusual bridge section, though. Uh, all in all, you know, the performance and the production is good, but it's kind of the dull chorus that is going to hurt it in my rankings. Yeah, I thought this was well put together, but I agree with you for sure that it didn't have a lot of, um, it wasn't super perceptible what the tempo change was supposed to be. And it wasn't something where, you know, some of these other songs incorporated it in a sort of obvious and also, you know, natural feeling way or in a way that kind of supported the, um, whatever the song was about here. It really did feel like it was, if it's there, then it's checking a box and, you know, something that you really have to look closely to, to figure out. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, like a huge metal fan, but I, I enjoyed this one. But it also means I don't really have a lot of like <laughs> smart things to say about, you know, um, the way it's put together, or, you know, the, you know, the, the kind of criticism that somebody who is more of a, a metal fan would be able to. Uh, next up is Flub Ub 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 with Threads, a musical odyssey in four movements, etc. I'm glad you got this one. You're not going to say what the four movements are? Should I? You need to. It's 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 right there in the song title. Yeah, I know, but Threads, a musical <laughs> Threads, a musical odyssey in four movements. Jimmy and Ruth, Threnody for the victims of Sheffield, Under a Cold Sky and A New Normal. is delightful uh it's like crocodile rock it's just fun 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 
part two is just sort of this instrumental drone. Uh, part three is a bit of a moody, plodding, down-tempo description of life after a nuclear holocaust. And part four is a lot of yelling of really disturbing lyrics. Other than the narrative, none of the sections seem to have much to do with each other, like musically. Uh, the backing music sounds completely different in each section. Uh, the singing voice is, you know, presented in you know a very different tone in each section. Uh, these are essentially four different songs slapped together. I like part one so much that I might make myself a version that fades out during the harmonica solo, but the rest of the song is really unpleasant and disturbing uh, enough so that I don't see any reason to subject myself to it repeatedly. Yep, you're you're reading right off my notes here. The Jimmy and Ruth section, of course, is, is my favorite as well. It's up-tempo, it rocks, it's got a great chorus, and Flebius falsetto is just great in the chorus. It's it's lifting, it's 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 great. The harmonica parts during the second chorus are also great, and I, I dig the harmonica solo. I'm stoked when the song starts, and I'm like, yeah, I like this song. And then we get past the sort of T-Rex vibes, and after two minutes, then it gets into the uh, the victims of Sheffield, and then Under a Cold Sky. And, like, Under a Cold Sky is slightly better than the, than the victims of Sheffield, or a, a definitely a new normal, which is as you mentioned, shouty and disturbing and borderline unlistenable. Yeah, this is like, this is a, this is the case, Ryan, you asked earlier. Has the challenge ruined a song? And I feel like it's ruined this one. I, I have to admit, the fourth shouty section, I made it all the way through just twice. And then after that, I skipped it every time after. Just not my cup of tea. Yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. It's funny, I actually like the third section the best. I thought the first section was, I mean, it was fine, but I just found it kind of generic. Like, I was always listening, I was like driving my car and like listening to these songs, and I did not think it was Flebia, you know, for that first part. And I was like, okay, whatever, just kind of rock song, but it's not very interesting, you know? And then um, it kind of got into this like, you know, the weird droning section and then the, um, the noise and and then kind of got into this weird detuned sounding thing. And I was like, this sounds like Flevia. <laughs> I like this. Uh, and then I went back and looked and I was like, oh wait, like this entire first part that I kind of glossed over was also, also actually part of the same song, which surprised me. So yeah, I mean, that that was actually my favorite part was that that third part, I thought it was very kind of haunting and, you know, disturbing, but without being, you know, super abrasive. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely, you know, doesn't really that well like the different sections into each other but maybe it's more of a bohemian rhapsody type situation where it's you know but instead of bohemian rhapsody it's it's uh nuclear holocaust have you guys seen threads no i heard it described as one of the most depressing movies ever made though yeah i'm intrigued i i want to see it at some point i haven't seen it but i mainly know about it because of the um (laughs) the saddest imdb page of all time which is there is a woman who is credited from Threads and her only IMDb credit, like the only role that she's ever had is woman who urinates upon herself. (laughs) Did you know? Personal quote. Holy shit, I pissed myself. (laughs) That's it. Next up, we've got Brother Baker with The Silver Linus. This is it. This is it. All things fair, please I don't have time to bear. 
And I have to say that I'm a fan of the late 90s indie rock slash emo sound that these guys are aiming for. You know, the intense shouted vocals, I think, are pulled off pretty well. They remind me of noisy emo core bands I like, like Knapsack or Jawbreaker. And those kind of lyrics, the shouted sort of lyrics, kind of also like harken back to older hardcore bands like, like Fugazi or Minor Threat. You know, that Ian McKay sort of intense, angry shouting vocals that I think I can get behind. So I, I totally get what these guys are going for stylistically. Um, but still, the song is a bit of a miss for me. I mean, sure, it's got passion and anger, but does it have a hook? Not, not so much. I don't think there's any part of this I could hum or reproduce any of the melodies in this song. You know, they just, they just don't really stick with me. And the spoken word section where the slowdown occurs is probably my least favorite part. And for a song... Without a lot of tuneful melodies, a section without a vocal melody just doesn't really help. In that section where they shout, I'm not doing this for you, I, I feel like I agree. They're really not doing this for <laughs> me. Well, I think creating this song may have been cathartic for them. It comes off as just a little bit self-indulgent. Yeah, I thought it had a strong intro and great singing voices. The verses were in the 5-4 time signature for no reason, but it sounds better than most 5-4, so that's fine. Uh, I think the tempo slowdown is fine too, but I think the spoken word, the kind of yelled word section is not good. I didn't enjoy that. I was surprised to see that this song is three minutes long, though, because it seemed a lot shorter. And I think that my surprise should probably be taken as a compliment. You know, I, I kind of wanted more. And when I say that I wanted more, I don't mean the song was lacking. I just mean that it was, uh, you know, it definitely hadn't overstayed its welcome for me. And I could have used another verse or maybe a guitar solo or something. Excellent performance. Great production. I think it's a strong entry. But if it ranks lower than that praise suggests... It's only because we got a lot of strong entries, and some of those had more charm than this very serious, very high-quality song. I really like this one. I think this was another one where, you know, kind of talking about songs that feel like there would be songs outside of this contest, you know, I think this was another one. And, you know, I liked what they were doing on the guitars. I liked the, you know, kind of shouty vocals. I mean, I, I guess I would agree with you that maybe there wasn't a lot of kind of memorable hookiness, but... It, it just felt pretty um, pitch perfect as far as that kind of early 2000s emo feel to me. Yeah, I just enjoyed it. And I feel like the the tempo change also kind of plays into that genre well. You know, like it, it felt like something that fit in there naturally, you know, in, in keeping with the genre and not this kind of shoehorned in like, oh, let's, you know, stop and, and start again with this new tempo. Like it felt more like something organic to the song itself to me. Menage a Tune is up next with No Time to Die. It's hard to believe after so many years. It's hard to conceive all the men without peer. Now we are here, who will answer the call? The latest James Bond has to be the greatest James Bond of them all. It's hard to believe after so many years. It's hard to conceive all the men without peer. But now we are here, who will answer the call? The latest James Bond must be 
the greatest James Bond of them all. It's hard to believe. Now, I can practically hear the music behind this number, which may speak to the catchiness of the tune, uh, or it may also reflect how it might be a little less inventive, uh, maybe a little predictable, which is fine if it's catchy. Uh, but I get it. It's a single joke song. It lasts two minutes, which is maybe one minute longer than it really needed to be. Um, after the punchline is delivered, the same punchline is repeated three times, and then we get a catchphrase. I like Wallace Shawn. Don't get me wrong. I actually got to meet him in Seattle once. Anyhow, good voice, good performance, uh, zero production, too much repetition throughout, and just one joke. I like Menage Tune, but if they make it to the next round, I'll do the cinnamon challenge with a tablespoon full of Iocane powder. <laughs> I don't think this was recorded to a click, so I guess it doesn't really have a fixed tempo, so not exactly a creative tempo change, but I'm gonna allow it. Kudos to Joanne for having the courage of her convictions to sing 100% acapella on a track. I know that a lot of singers, myself included, would struggle with that. That's, that's not easy to do, so she pulled that off well. I didn't notice a lot of tuning problems or anything like that, so kudos to Joanne for accomplishing that. Uh, as Ryan mentioned, this song is a sense, essentially a setup for a joke, with the punchline coming at the very end. And I think that the punchline could have been a little bit better if it would have been hinted that it was Wallace Shawn, rather than telling us it was Wallace Shawn a couple times. And maybe just by describing Wallace Shawn or maybe even have sampling him saying inconceivable or something might have been slightly better. I'm just trying to think of something constructive to say. Yeah, I agree. There's there's zero production in this. It was pretty much just a, a one take uh, vocal. And I know that she sort of expected to have music to go with that, but it didn't really pan out. This may just serve as being an example of why you don't want to phone in a shadow because... You may get called up. I feel like this has happened before specifically with Menage Tune at a previous Spin Tunes where they got reinstated on a song that was not great. And again, again obviously immediately just uh, kicked out again. Yeah. I think they, they also got reinstated and made it to the final round for Spin Tunes 13. So they've had mixed mixed results with the reinstatement. Yeah. Yeah. This is a bold choice for sure. You know, I hated it, but it, I don't think it was really supposed to be something that <laughs> put out there with a whole lot of effort or energy or expectation that they were going to go a whole lot of places with this. So yeah, I, I don't really know what to say about it. It's kind of but, all the more admirable. You know, she felt compelled to submit something, even thinking that she probably wasn't going to get reinstated, even thinking that, well, I just feel like I should, I should be more prolific or I should be prolific. I think there's uh, value in that. There's value in people making making music. Next up, we've got Bucket Hat Bobby Matheson with the flameproof polka. Flames we're throwing, the fire's growing. Arson seeds I have been sowing. This burning burden comes from knowing the fire needs me to stoke her. Molotov cocktails on the house Drenched in petrol, clothing doused We sneak in, quiet as a mouse To dance the flame-proof poker (laughs) 
And I just want to come out and say right off the bat and just show my, my maybe my musical biases here, but I absolutely love the Tom Waits album Rain Dogs, which has a number of kind of twisted polkas on it. And I've drunkenly swayed back and forth at the Blue Moon Tavern in Seattle while Jason Webley sung and played accordion and pounded with a giant jug full of coins on the floor. And this is the sort of style that this song is going for, and I absolutely get what it's trying to do. And for me, it totally works. I think the klezmer sound is just dead on with the accordion and the hammered dulcimer sounding just particularly good to me. The changes in tempo are all just super well executed and they're, I think they're totally idiomatic to the style, so they, they sound completely natural in the context of the song. There's this line about the fire dwindling and then the song slows down as the fire dwindles and then it speeds back up when the fire is rekindled, which I think is super effective. When it speeds up, like it's just exciting again and it builds that energy and it's great. I think Bobby's voice here is excellent, like he's really leaning into the performance and in his role of the caller of this demonic polka, I think he just nails it and I'm totally into the song. I love his like evil laughs and some of his various vocalizations he does, encouraging the band to pick it up at the end, you know, where he has all these sort of yips and yelps. Maybe some of those are slightly overdone and I dial that back 20% or so, but it's a minor complaint. I love this song, and it's definitely going to be high up in my rankings. Yeah. I, I think that in, in terms of practicality, it must be difficult to follow the way that the fake drums gradually and seemingly constantly are changing throughout the song, but some of the playing and the singing is definitely not on the beat, and which makes me think then, well, why have that beat at all? I'm not sure that it added all that much. And now it just distracts because I can hear that uh, that the playing and the singing is not quite on there. Uh, but, you know, like Chumpy said, I like how the tempo changes were used to accentuate the fire and then to, you know, mark the fading of the fire uh, and then to bring it back, you know, as the tempo changes kind of reflected all that. And that was great. And it was incorporated very well. Uh, I like the lead vocal performance a lot, even or maybe especially those grunts and that scatting at the end, which I I think it was fine. I don't I, I don't think it needs to be twenty percent down at all. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yep. yeah, yeah, pick it up. Yeah. yeah, the lyrics are pretty interesting too, and they remind me a little bit of Jerkatorium's Flamethrower song, uh, like only thematically though. But in this song, do I have it right that it's about arsonists? that set houses on fire and then go dance inside the burning houses? Maybe. Yeah, something like that. It uh, it seems kind of like a pretty wild concept, if that's the case, and if I didn't get it right. Yeah, I well, think it would be fun once. Uh, <laughs> I think it probably would be fun. <laughs> but it's kind of, uh, you know, mania of any sort is kind of uh, nice to hear presented in music, yeah. I think. Yeah, I read the lyrics the same way that, yeah, they're going and burning these houses down and going in and dancing in the fire. But I thought this was really well done. I think this is probably my favorite song in terms of the way that they incorporated those tempo changes into the song itself, because, yeah, it did work well and organically with the genre and also worked well with the lyrics and, and working alongside what was happening lyrically. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was just a fun song you know it's probably not something that i would go back and listen to a million times but i enjoyed it when it came up 
Some parallels uh, with this song and I think Jim of Seattle's Fish song. Sure. Yeah, musically, but I like... Wait, it doesn't <laughs> rhyme fire with fire a million times, right? <laughs> yeah. But it also just felt like a song that was kind of evolving a bit more, I guess, than, than that one. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess there were... It, it also had all those kind of like, you know, shouts and, you know, background things happening. But for whatever reason, that just felt like it kept on going. And this one felt like it had more of a natural ebb and flow. I, I think I got a little more klezmer from this one <laughs> than I did from uh, the Jim of Seattle one, uh, which is which is nice. Uh, oh, wait, now I get it. So Jim of Seattle stole the clarinet that should have been in yep, this song. And I don't know if a hammered dulcimer would have sounded good in Jim's song, but... The, the line about pulls upon our playful pyre. Um, I know that colder is supposed to rhyme with smolder, but every time I heard that, I was like, oh, it's going to, the fire, the fire's going to go higher. It's like, oh no, it's getting colder. <laughs> and then I always felt this kind of like slight disappointment when I got to that part and, you know, it didn't end up rhyming with what I thought it was going to. All right. Well, that's the end of the competitors and we have three shadows let's buzz through those the first one is the entertainment brothers who did slowly i just can't wait for the weekend oh i need so bad to kiss your lips again so i thought it would be Doing romantic things like this Oh, driving 60 miles with just a kiss It's that long wait, delayed gratification Driving me mad Though it's far, I get in my car Just need to get wherever you are 55, 60 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100. That's as fast as this piece of crap will go. I want to get there quickly, but I want to kiss you slowly, kiss you slowly. This song isn't really for me. Uh, I don't like the synthesizer that holds the bass and or chord progression as individual sustained notes uh, through most of the song. I uh, don't like the pauses between some of the sections. You know, that's pretty consistent with what I've said of the other ones, too. I think, you know, it's better to have fills. It's better to have, you know, some sort of consistency. The tempo changes are good, and it's a good way of combining the increasing tempo with the increasing speed of the car. And I think Jealous Brother did that too, but uh, Entertainment Brothers might be doing it more effectively in this song. We kind of alluded to that earlier in the podcast. Uh, I am not a fan of songs that end with murder uh, or even intention to murder like this song. Furthermore, even though the lyrics start out sweet, the music is still creepy all the way through. So even the kiss you slowly parts sound creepy and off-putting. You know, if you read the lyrics, uh, you can be fooled into thinking that it's a love song all the way through to the second chorus. But then if you listen to the song, it just broadcasts menace from the first line. So, yeah, maybe 
some other kind of shifts or something like that would have made it more effective in the way they wanted it to be effective. But even then, I still probably wouldn't have liked it because I think uh, ending with murder is a pretty cheap shot. Yeah, I, I felt the same way about the sort of subject matter. I don't like love songs that just sort of turn dark. I thought it was kind of cool, that whole 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, that whole thing of just, like, seeing how fast the car will go. And then, like, they went from I want to kiss you to I want to kill you slowly. And I don't know, I just, I, I found it a little bit icky. I was okay with the music, and I thought that I thought the vocals were pretty well done. I just couldn't really get behind the whole story. You know, for a song I couldn't really get behind, it was also, like, almost five minutes in length, and I... I found myself skipping it fairly frequently, and uh, I feel bad that I'm sort of phoning in this review because I didn't particularly care for the song, and it was a shadow, but yeah, I didn't have a lot more notes than that. Um, I totally agree with you guys about the plot of the song, you know, like I think if they had just kept the conceit being, oh, I want to get there quickly but kiss you slowly, it would have been fine, you know? Um, I didn't feel like that whole plot twist at the end really added a whole lot. I didn't think that it was very well executed lyrically. Um, a lot of these lyrics just feel a little bit, um, there's better ways to phrase things, right? They're not, they're not really like respecting the sound of the words or the kind of the musicality of the language, like saying this piece of crap yeah. in the lyrics or, you know, saying you are back with that jerk who screwed you after we got engaged. Like it just, it doesn't flow very well, right? It doesn't sound and and I think there are things that I liked about the song a lot. Like I feel like this could have with a little bit different um approach could have been like a cool like lost Duran Duran track or something. Um like I kind of liked the the menacing sound. But I think the lyrics to me really let it down. I mean I, I do like the kind of conceit of like tying the speed change to, you know, the car and kind of having that tied into the lyrics. Repeating the numbers, you know, the miles per hour just doesn't do it for me as lyrics like that's kind of emphasized far too much you know in these lyrics and i really didn't like the way that they use these long words like um gratification um anticipation incarceration because they were fr they were emphasized in a really weird way um in the delivery it was like all of the syllables are like gratification you know it's like it, it just doesn't flow with the actual stresses in the word so i think lyrical craft didn't really do it for me here and I, I did like aspects of the the music and the melody but I think that the song as a whole didn't work for me because of those kind of other other issues with it all right let's move on to the red watcher with no measure the years that slip behind us now glimpses of memories that no one can recall no one but ourselves My, how it seemed to be so promising back then Life was a river running wilder at the bends No measure till it ends To when no one could tell if I had to do it all again, I think I would, I know I would, even knowing all the pain it sent, 
think I would. I'm sure I would. And uh, this song starts out slow, and it kind of remains slow throughout the entire 4 minutes 21 seconds runtime. It creates a good vibe, and I feel like there's some pretty singing and some pleasant production. But like, it's hard when a song goes over two minutes before we get any kind of steady drum beat, even though it's a little bit slow. If there are tempo changes in the song, I feel like they're just different variations of slow. I mean, I really didn't notice any significant tempo changes. Are you going to disqualify this I th- song? I'm definitely going to disqualify <laughs> the shadow. And I also feel like the fade in, the fade out at the, the very end is, you know, 30 seconds long. Uh, that's that's kind of a long time for a fade out. They could have cut the runtime here to under four minutes. They just would have faded faster or ended the song with a bang or found another way of ending. Wow, Red Watcher, you didn't have to submit anything. You're, there's no way for you to get instated. <laughs> and or here's a like bunch that. of criticism <laughs> from from a bunch yeah. from jerks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, this is this is perfect. This is kind of some, some of the stuff I was talking about with Menage a Tune like, and with some of the other stuff. This is great. It's great that he submitted a song that he was inspired to do with, with no hope of getting any sort of acclaim uh, or anything like that or of getting reinstated or winning this, this thing. And uh, he just kind of out of nowhere decided, I'm going to do this because I want to create and because I'm inspired and I want to share it with people because I don't give a damn about the tempo change, uh, however it was used. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, this is one of those that I'm actually not going to put into logic. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, I'm not auditing this one. But yeah, so uh, for this one, I, I liked it. And I think, you know, Red Watcher, uh, Ted, uh, you got to compete as Red Watcher. Uh, you could easily win this no stakes, meaningless competition with no problem. Um, I thought it's an excellent voice. Uh, great, great voice. Subtle instrumentation, and I think really good choices with the instrumentation. Uh, the melody is a little repetitive in the verses, but I'm buying all of it. And if anything, that just makes the the little variations more tasty. Sure, it's low energy, but it's pleasant and lovely, and I think it's great work. Yeah, I like this one. Um, I thought this was a really great vocal performance. I think I would probably have liked it to either be a bit shorter or to have a little bit more coming in in the production as it went along, because it did start to feel just pretty pretty long to me by the end um, without kind of a lot of additional stuff coming in. But yeah, I thought it was I thought it was nicely done, um, and I did really like the performance i liked this line time was a river growing wilder at the bends like what a what a cool line you know it did it felt like something that he wrote because it meant something to him it's nice to to hear that i think he should compete definitely part of that is me just saying i want to hear more songs yeah. of his too okay so should we move on all right last one in the list the pleasantry doing so fucking loud
They Might Be Giants has a song called Man, It's So Loud In Here. And this song doesn't resemble uh, that TMBG song as far as your ear is concerned, but it's a very similar theme. And I don't, I don't really think that's a problem. It's just sort of worth mentioning because uh, some of the ideas are, are similar. Anyway, in my notes for the Sarah Parsons song, I'd mentioned that the first part of her song sounds like punk interpreted ineptly by a person who has always just dismissed and disregarded the whole punk and rock genre. This song here, though, sounds like that except for dubstep and <laughs> dance music. Those synth sounds are bad. I think maybe a little more research and exposure to actual club music might have resulted in better choices. Like even a quick peek at a YouTube EDM tutorial might help, but this this was just a little a little annoying on the ear, bad synth choices, etc. Uh, but of course, Cybronica's performance is amazing. She's really giving it a serious go, and she sounds fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and assume that they'd never heard that They Might Be Giant song, and in that case, it's a good take on a humorous scenario, even if it does smell vaguely like a boomer meme. The tempo <laughs> changes are incorporated well, uh, certainly better than many of the other submissions. Yeah. I also have not a huge fan of the buzzing, clanging synths. Yeah, they just they were just really graded on me. Like you, I thought Cybronica's vocals were great. I thought the speed up was well done. Yeah, one of the better speed ups of of the competition. And I I wonder if our criticisms or our harsh criticisms of Grumpy Mike caused him to get banished and to only appear in the song at the end. Like everything's not about us, obviously, but I didn't want Grumpy Mike to go away. I would have liked it maybe if they had done sort of a duet together. I would have loved I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, no, I mean, now that you mention it, yeah, I mean, they would make a good duet. Uh, Grumpy Mike has a great voice. He does, a, a great, great singing, singing voice. voice. And they should sing. And, Just, like, and not yeah, rap. In, yeah. in a genre that they both understand and enjoy. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, or, I mean, I, I kind of uh, associate his voice with, like, some, uh, like, a more rock-ish genre, a heavier rockish genre. And come to think of it, that's not really rife with a bunch of duets, but he could <laughs> yeah. start it. Could make it happen. Yeah. What do you think, El? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys basically hit the criticisms that I had about this. I mean, the previous song that they submitted was kind of a similar problem, right? It was it was like a rap song made by people who don't listen to rap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this was just me, but I felt like listening to Cybronica's performance, it seemed like it would be good kind of on its own, but I had a hard time reconciling it to the beat that was under it. And I don't know if that's just sort of me like losing track of you know, what the, the groove or, or the key was supposed to be, but somehow it felt a bit disconnected to me from the underlying music. I don't know if that was just me or if um, if you guys noticed that as well. Well, it, it makes sense. I mean, there, there's sort of, you know, this sort of tradition in the in dance music, club music of kind of having a, a vocal hook, a more or less minimal vocal hook. Sung and, by a diva. Which, of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and the chorus definitely does that here. It's just, I think, the so fucking loud, the repeated so fucking loud sort of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I feel kind of, I feel like I should listen to it again if I want to make some specific recommendations or some specific kind of criticisms that way. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think that it's fine with the vocal hook. I think that, yeah, maybe the the, the sort of verse sections. Uh, yeah, yeah, more the verse sections is what I mean. But yeah, it's also just, <laughs> like you said, kind of a, a boomer meme type of um, song topically. It's like, why why are you 
out at this loud place. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, old man no. shaking his fist at a cloud. It's like, <laughs> you're, you're out in a loud place. Like, it's going to be loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember one time I was on my way back from Shelbyville. I had an onion in my belt at the time because that was, that was, yeah. that was the fashion at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fashion of the time, and I had, back then, uh, Nichols used to have bees on them. <laughs> DDM was playing, but we called it techno back then. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, we are at the end. Do we have some sort of closing thoughts? Maybe we could pick some favorites. Like, what are you guys leaning towards Is the the songs that you, if you had to pick a couple songs to listen to again, what would they be? I always liked when Newfangled Trolleys came up. Yep. I was just going to say, I think I mentioned this before as we were kind of talking through them individually, but uh, my favorites were the Stacking Theory song and the Third Cat song. I think those were kind of the, the top of my list. Yeah, for me, it's Bucket Hat Bobby, uh, Jim of Seattle. I think I would also add Stacking Theory. Are there any songs that you want to give a, another listen to? Like after hearing all of our conversations about these songs... Do you feel like that you may have misjudged some or maybe want to go back and take a closer look at some others? No, I'm right with everything that, I yeah. said. No errors. Yeah, uh, I feel like I didn't really give um, the proper attention <laughs> to a couple of these, you know, which I didn't really realize until we got to discussing them and I don't have any notes. So I was just like, oh, what song is this? So I need to go back and, you know, listen to a couple of those again. Yeah, but, just, submit, um, just submit an MP3 with your edited uh, comments and we'll just put them in. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's a zero percent. <laughs> That'll happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I may go back and listen to the Cave Dwellers tune again. I, I feel like we were close to sussing out really what Ricochet had to do with the song, and there may be some sort of deeper meaning in there that we could maybe find. I came away from that song thinking I didn't quite get it, so maybe I'd go back and listen to that one a few more times. It's too bad that there's no sort of platform there for them to you know provide an explanation. A uh, bio, if you will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We'll never know. Yeah. Would you like to hear more songs about fantasy novels or science fiction novels? <laughs> I really, so like one of my favorite genres is like post-apocalyptic or actually apocalyptic. I like apocalyptic a little bit better than the post-apocalyptic. You know, I really love post-apocalyptic science fiction. So things like Flubia's song about the nuclear holocaust i mean content wise appeal to me so i'm i'm not against you know heavily science fiction kind of things but i think there are a lot of ways to go wrong uh in terms of approaching yeah. those i'm going to suggest yeah i'm going to suggest that when jerkatorium did sci-fi songs that we we had the right approach <laughs> as, as always, always. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that, like, we had a very specific, very short scenario. We didn't try to encapsulate a novel. Uh, we didn't have any arc. <laughs> uh, it was just a guy and a girl are navigating, and uh, they look at each other when they're supposed to be looking at their instruments, and uh, they hit an asteroid. And, uh, <laughs> and they all die. And the thing explodes, and they all die. <laughs> you know, that is not... A touching love story. <laughs> Yeah, that could happen in three minutes and twenty seconds, you know, and uh, you know, and then that's it. And but and also like uh, uh, the the gore. captive of gore. I think we summarized in one song, which is a terrible, exactly. awful He's, book. Yeah, but but the but the whole thing is someone's captured. And he's a sex slave on gore or whatever. <laughs> and he and likes it. That's it. 
exactly. That's that's the whole story. So because it made him feel no like a man. Arc. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, exactly. So anyhow, yeah, I think I think the problem is when they're trying to put too much in and trying to go with something that you can't immediately kind of recognize and follow. That's the problem that we had with Jocko homomorphism. Timothy Patrick Kinkle. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to put Brian Gray in that list because <laughs> we, do, we, we don't have the whole story yeah. yet. Looking forward to more of that. Although with our current ban on musicals, I don't think we'll hear any more of that nonsense. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, plugs, thanks, shout outs, plugs. I got nothing going on. We've got uh, David Bowie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, this will be out before the 30th, right? Uh, um, yes. So, yeah, all the hundreds of people in Madison, Wisconsin listening to this, if you want to come to the High Noon Saloon on uh, October 30th, you know, come come see me do some David Bowie and some cranberries. But otherwise, yeah, <laughs> just things that you mentioned earlier. That's right. Miscellaneous owl, vowel sounds, crown shy. Gentle brontosaurus. Gentle brontosaurus. All on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the band camps and the sound clouds and uh, everywhere else. So, yeah. All right, then uh, how about shout outs? I would like to give a shout out to Micah. Thanks for running a very smoothly run spin tune so far. And I feel like that the contest is only going to get better under your leadership under his eye. Yeah, Absolutely. I, th- I think it's going very well. It's going very smoothly. Interactions with uh, the judges are going well. The the listening parties, despite being a little late, despite starting a little late, Tommy is doing a wonderful bang-up job of going ahead and powering through those, even if they're ending you know, early morning uh, the next day. So uh, really great. Uh, admire that. So Tommy's doing a great job. Mike is doing a great job. Uh, kudos to all of the judges who got their reviews in on time, too. That is unusual. Like, I feel like in the early rounds when there's a million reviews to write, that getting a complete set of reviews from all of the judges, that's pretty rare. Good job, everyone. And thorough, complete reviews, too. Yeah, not half-assed ones like we do. Yeah, not where we just talk instead of, like, actually thinking about it. Yeah, I was I was going to give a shout out to all the judges because, man, this is hard work. <laughs> but everybody has been turning in very detailed reviews, it looks like, which is nice. It's like, oh, maybe I should have competed. <laughs> Got, gotten some feedback, but maybe next year. Definitely. Definitely. I think this happens twice a year. So it might be earlier than next year. But then, of course, there's also Narine, which you've already decimated. decimated. So. <laughs> I feel like I should stop entering your eye while I'm ahead. <laughs> yeah. You're a dominant force. I, I it's, this, right? <laughs> like, it's so embarrassing to win so often. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, uh, well, yeah. Also, uh, shout out to my patient and understanding husband, Andre. Uh, thank you for all your love and support and uh, shout out to Brian and Alan. Brian, of course, without whom this whole thing wouldn't have happened. Trigatorium wouldn't have happened. This podcast wouldn't have happened. None of it. Shout out to Brian, who was nice enough to uh, join us uh, during our previous podcast, Boy on the Wall. And especially shout out to Juanwa, Owl. Uh, for joining us during this podcast. Uh, uh, we really appreciate it, especially considering that you're not competing. You don't have a dog in this fight. 
Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it's always a pleasure to, you know, uh, join you and, and talk to you guys. I, I always enjoy it. So sorry for talking so much and making this run so long. But it's a lot of songs. A lot of things to yeah. about them. Speaking of songs, I can hear the ending theme music playing. And we're out.